ready to kick off another week of the show covering everything Southern. This is the Y'all Show. How y'all doing? I'm John Rawl. If you want to connect to us here, 803-816-1170 is how you can text or call. We have our entire staff sitting here waiting for you to send that text in. 803-816-1170. If you've got something to say about the southeast of the United States of the greatest country of America, the world, the, oh gosh, I sound like a wrestler. In fact, i got to pull up some audio of a moment captured on film over the weekend from an FCS football game, a championship football game in the SWAC, and the coach for Alabama A&M. Boy, he was excited. We'll have to pull that up at some point when we have our sports update. Yeah, we got a busy, busy show here on this Monday edition of y'all. Hope you all had a great weekend. I know we had some scary weather in some portions of the southeast. We'll tell you about what happened in Tupelo overnight. And we'll, we've kind of got a developing story there out of Lee County in North Mississippi. We'll share with you information. We also have other headlines, some good headlines out there. How about SpaceX splashing down off of Panama City over the weekend? And we've got some other NASA-related stuff that we'll tell you about here on today's Y'all Show as we walk through the headlines. A college in the southeast of the United States celebrating its 250th birthday this year. We have a list of some of the most famous alumni of this historic college. We'll have that here on today's Y'all Show. And plus, we also have coming up... In Florida, just what we needed in time for summer. In the Florida Keys, genetically modified mosquitoes are being released. Now, do we really need more skeeters out there across the southeast? I I don't think so. But, yeah, somebody that's smarter than me thinks it's a good idea to do that. And we'll tell you all about what's going on in the Keys. I think we're just going to have to go down there and see for ourselves. Who's not up for a trip to the Florida Keys here this week? We'll share with you that information later in our headlines as we roll across the southeast. Also, in this first hour of today's Y'all Show, a look at sports headlines and how about the running of the Kentucky Derby. Madonna Spirit won the 147th running of the Kentucky Derby. A big upset. And I'll share with you a little bit of information. And how about trainer Bob Babbert breaking the record for wins for a trainer with his seventh Derby win there from Churchill Downs. Love that hair, love his style, and love the fact that he's a winner. Kentucky Derby in the books now. Also racing at Kansas Speedway on Sunday in NASCAR, and on his 36th birthday, Kyle Busch gets the checkered flag there at Kansas Speedway. We'll have info that coming your way. Plus, we have the wrap-up of the NFL draft over the weekend. The Southeastern Conference saw a record 65 players taken And we'll kind of walk through what happened in the draft in case you missed any of it. Of course, not hard to miss it as it goes over four days, but our three, it's actually Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So it's more like three days, but it seems like four days with the amount of draft picks selected in this thing. But Mel Kuyper of ESPN has filed an article where he weighs in on the teams, all 32 teams, how well they met their needs, and we'll share some of that with you. We had some college football played on Sunday. Did you happen to see that? And two teams from the South will be going after each other for a chance to play for a national championship as both James Madison, the Dukes, and Jacksonville State got victories over the weekend in FCS playoff action. And we'll share with you what happens next for those two teams. I'm sorry, Jacksonville State fell. I thought they won. They, They actually lost to Delaware. The Blue Hens of Joe Biden come back and win there in Jacksonville. Jacksonville State was a fourth seed in the playoffs and 
and they end up losing. So James Madison's going to play a Southern team. They're going to play the Sam Houston State Bearcats out of Huntsville, Texas. We'll share with you more info on FCS playoff action. And then in the world of golf over the weekend, a big win for a Shreveport native. We'll tell you about that here in this first hour. And before the first hour concludes here on today's Y'all Show, we are going to have our Southern History Spotlight. And wow, I can't quite say it or yell it the way he did, but James Brown with a birthday today, the godfather of soul out of the Georgia-South Carolina region, the CSRA. And we're going to play, of course, one of his most famous songs to get you into Southern history mode, but also a former first lady with a birthday here this week. And we'll tell you more about Julia Gardner Tyler, the wife of our 10th president. And she had an amazing story. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and give Julia Gardner Tyler the dubious title of our first carpet bagging Yankee to come south. But she's got a great story and an amazing legacy. What is that legacy? She and President Tyler still have one living grandchild. Yeah, that's hard to believe. This guy was president back in the 1840s, I think, and his grandson's still with us. And he lives here in the South. And I'll tell you about it here in our Southern History Showcase later this hour. Hour two today, we have so much coming at you here on the Y'all Show. It's redonkulous. But we have a look at headlines continuing on to, to the second hour. And then our Taka Pola storyteller, George, Jerry Short's going to be on to tell us what's going on in the South. I'm going to find out what he did this weekend. And maybe his weekend was a little bit more exciting than yours. Maybe it wasn't. We'll find out from our Taka Pola storyteller, Jerry Short coming up here, hour number two of today's Y'all Show. And then in hour three, we've got a new title for hour three of the Y'all Show. It is our closing argument as Art Cruz, retired attorney, recovering attorney, will be on in hour three to share his thoughts on the NFL draft and other sports news and other headlines from across the world of the Southeast. All that in hour three of today's y'all show now that is one way to get the week started plus we'll also share with you in hour three what all's on deck for the rest of the week here of the show that covers everything southern so again hope you all had a good weekend let's dive into what's going on in the southeast here on this monday and multiple tornadoes spread across north mississippi sunday and a lot of these happen in the evening hours a line of severe storms rolled through north mississippi sunday into the night and late Sunday, a tornado emergency was declared for Tupelo. That is in Lee County. And also meteorologists urge people to take cover. And I've seen some of the video here on this Monday of what happened in downtown Tupelo. You had damage reported there off of Gloucester. Emergency crews are currently assessing the degree of damage. And they're asking people to not get out and drive. Photos retweeted by the National Weather Service in Memphis showed several down trees and power lines. A middle school in Tupelo sustained some damage, as well as houses and businesses. Another county nearby Tupelo is Calhoun County, and the sheriff of that county said Calhoun City was also hit hard by tornadic activity on Sunday. So you had this line of weather going through the area Sunday evening, and always scary when you've got weather that happens, bad weather, severe weather, in the evening hours. But I know there are WTVA in Tupelo does a great job of keeping all those in North Mississippi informed of what's going on there. Matt, I forgot Matt's last name, the meteorologist there, but a very good uh, station that people know to turn to for all kinds of weather updates. So 
The point is, this the system that hit Tupelo and North Mississippi is working its way eastward today. We've already seen some bad weather across portions of West Tennessee here on this Monday. And just be careful. Keep an eye on your weather forecast as this front makes its way eastward here today. And we want to make sure we all come out of this as as well as we possibly can. And I don't have, thankfully, any news of injuries or death at this point here to report from what happened in Mississippi on Sunday. But, yeah, just keep an eye. We're in May now. We still have chances of a lot of rough weather before we start hitting the 100-degree temps of the summertime. But, yeah, just be careful out there and always keep a weather radio with batteries close by if you're able to. The temperature outlook today across the southeast is going to be pretty hot in some portions of Georgia. and I mean, hotter than normal, I guess. It's, uh, it is May, so we know that it has potential to, to be in the 90s and more. But, yeah, just be careful for those outbreaks of, of lightning and thunder and bad weather here as we get our week going. Today in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, mourners will gather for the funeral of Andrew Brown Jr., the man shot and killed by deputies in Pascatank County, North Carolina the other week. The invite-only service today in Elizabeth City follows public viewings from Sunday. The Reverend Al Sharpton will deliver the eulogy. Other speakers will include Brown's relatives as well as civil rights attorney Ben Crump, who's representing Brown's family, and the Reverend William Barber II, the leader of the Poor People's Campaign. The 42-year-old Brown was shot and killed back on April 21st by, on April 21st by deputies attempting to serve drug-related search and arrest warrants. And that, of course, has led to days of protest there in northeastern North Carolina. But the funeral service today for Andrew Brown, Jr., the man killed by Pascatank County, North Carolina deputies, a few weeks back. More headlines across the southeast here as we continue on on this Monday. And we have a story coming to us now from Tennessee. Did you hear about this story? And how about our nation's military and what they teach people when they come through the ranks? An elderly couple escaped an assisted living facility using Morse code training. Yeah, the couple escaped actually back in March because of the husband's military training. This happened in Lebanon, Tennessee at the Elmcroft Senior Living Center. And now that senior living center must pay $2,000 for failing to provide daily awareness for the whereabouts of two residents who escaped briefly from their secure memory unit back on March 2nd. And it looks like the couple, which was a man and wife team, they, of course, a couple would be a man and wife usually, uh, they remain unnamed in public records, but they suffer both from dementia and Alzheimer's disease, but they had enough sense about them that the husband used his military training with Morse code. <laughs> he figured out the facility's electric lock code by listening in to people when they were punching that electric lock code in. And he ended up figuring out what the code was, and he and his wife were able to escape for about 30 minutes. A Luckily, a stranger found the couple wandering away, two blocks away, and they were able to get them back in. But, yeah, how about that? This guy, by hearing the beep, 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 was able to figure out how to get out of that senior living assisted facility for dementia patients in Lebanon, Wilson County, Tennessee. Now, the first black Florida Supreme Court justice has died at the age of 88. Yes, Joseph W. Hatchett died in Tallahassee on Saturday. No cause of death given. 
Hatchett was the first black on the state high court when he was appointed by then-Governor Reuben Askew back in 1975. In 1979, President Jimmy Carter, who was the president of the country at that time, named Hatchett to the 5th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. Hatchett grew up in Clearwater, Florida, attended Pinellas High School, then graduated from Florida A&M in 1954, and then went on to earn a law degree from Howard University School of Law in 1959. And he is survived by two two children and eight grandchildren, plus nine great-grandchildren. Again, the first black Florida Supreme Court justice dying over the weekend, Joseph W. Hatchett. And an announcement comes out from the cable channel TLC as they've released a statement about the arrest of one of the members of the Duger 19 and Kids counting show, Josh Duger, a star of that show, arrested last week. And now TLC is coming out with a statement that says they're saddened to learn about the continued troubles involving Josh Duger. 19 Kids and Counting has not aired since 2015. TLC canceled the show on the heels of prior allegations against Josh Duggar, and he has not appeared on air since then. Duggar pled not guilty to charges of, he was indicted and received charges of receiving and possessing child pornography, and that happened last week. He was arrested in northwest Arkansas, and now the cable channel the Learning Channel releasing a statement about this guy who used to be on 19 Kids and Counting. And again, Duggar has pled not guilty to both charges, and his lawyer announced they intend to defend the case, quote, aggressively. His trial date in Arkansas scheduled for Tuesday, July 6th. If convicted, Josh Duggar faces up to 20 years of imprisonment and fines up to $250,000 on each count. Not looking good for the 19 kids and counting. Another arrest out of the natural state. This comes from Jonesboro. A battle over a disco ball there in northeast Arkansas leaves a man from Jonesboro facing residential burglary and robbery charges. 59-year-old Rodney Thomas of Jonesboro arrested April 29th in connection with an April 25th incident at a home on Falls Street in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Police there in Jonesboro said in a probable cause affidavit that officers went to the home after getting a call about an assault with a head injury. The victim states that Rodney Thomas approached him about a disco ball that he had purchased from Thomas for $20, but he was wanting it back. The victim refused, and Thomas pushed him back in the apartment. Police said a person who was with Thomas then assaulted the victim, the victim ended up having broken ribs and a cut to his head. So fighting over a disco ball there in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Better be careful. How about this story out of Texas? Hey, do you remember the days where you went and rented a VHS tape? Well, how about this? A VH tape rented in 1999. Prince, sing that song for us. 1999. Yeah, a video, a video uh, VHS tape. I've already forgot what the heck they are. Yeah. Not beta, VHS tape, rented 22 years ago, has now led to a felony charge for a woman from Texas. She rented Sabrina the Teenage Witch on VHS, and now she's getting hit with a felony charge. Can you believe this? All for renting Sabrina the Teenage Witch 22 years ago. This lady, Karen McBride, now 52 years old, says that she first learned of the charges when she tried to change her name on her driver's license after she was married in Texas, 
November of 2020. She said that she went to change the driver's license, and during this COVID thing, you had to make an appointment. And so I sent them an email, and they sent me an email that told me that I had an issue in Oklahoma, which is where she had lived when she rented this tape, and that that issue in Oklahoma was going on, and this was the reference number for me to call this number, and I did. Turns out McBride was referred to the Cleveland County District Clerk's Office in Oklahoma for more info, and a woman informed her that she had had felony embezzlement charges against her, and it was because of a VHS tape that was rented in 1999 and never returned. (laughs) Yeah, the store, by the way, closed back in 2008. I don't know if these charges are going to stick or not, but yeah, better be careful when you've got those VHS tapes rented 22 years ago, and they could lead to a felony indictment. Good Lord, what kind of crazy charge would that be? I guess that's part of the reason maybe that VHS store went out of business. Maybe it's part of the reason VHS, period, that the, the idea of renting a tape, period, has gone out of business. Netflix kind of helped seal the deal on that one. We've got more headlines from across the southeast that we'll get to. This is y'all. We want to hear from you. 803-816-1170. That is the number to text or call. I know you've got something to say, I'm sure, about what's going on across the region, and we want to hear about it. All you got to do is give us a call 24-7. We'll be back with more headlines, and sports info is coming up as well here on this, the Y'all Show Talk with a Southern Accent. Here's the first night life. Oh, babe, I'm tired of you Ain't your honey but the way you do She goes, babe It's all over now All I want my babe to do Make five dollars and give me two She goes, babe It's all over now Went downtown and bought me rope Put my babe till she buzzed low She goes, babe It's all over now Little Matt's Lipscomb music here, getting your Monday going. I am John Rawl, and this is Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Sports headlines coming up in the next segment. Former LSU Tiger with the victory on the PGA Tour on Sunday. We'll tell you all about it here on Talk with a Southern Accent. All right, let's dive back into the headlines here on the Y'all Show. I should have played the fight song for this college. I don't have that fight song queued up and i apologize in fact i don't even know what the fight song is for the college of charleston how about the coc cougars they're celebrating their 250th anniversary this year and that makes them the oldest institution for higher education south of the commonwealth of virginia so they're the oldest college south of that line between virginia and north carolina so they're older than anything and North Carolina or Georgia, and certainly all the states that followed westward in our country's discovery. Yes, college founders and early trustees were framers of the Constitution and signers of the Declaration of Independence. Seven others of the College of Charleston would go on to become South Carolina governors, while more still would serve as federal and state lawmakers, diplomats and judges, as well as Charleston mayors and councilmen. The little tiny College of Charleston in downtown Charleston, the holy city Celebrating 250 years, the current college president is Andrew Hugh, 
and he said the institution has been here for 250 years, and I'm sure it will have no trouble in excelling for another 250 years. The college has been unveiling a new 10-year strategic plan and will have numerous celebrations going forward as the semi-quincentennial. i got to say that right, not sesquicentennial. Semi-quincentennial is what it's called when you have your 250th birthday. So way to go. Of course, our oldest college here in the South would be the College of William and Mary, and that's a wonderful place there in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And, uh, yeah, just a just a, a great history there. Oddly enough, the William and Mary's technical name is the College of William and Mary. And here you got the College of Charleston, which actually was a private school for much of its history. It became a state college within South Carolina's educational system, I think, back in the 1960s or 1970s. And while we're talking about the COC Cougars, let's talk about some of their most famous alumni giving them a, a, a proper shout-out. How about actor Orlando Jones? Also, you have actor Thomas Gibson, who I think won a Golden Globe Award at some point in his career. You also have Robert Mills, a famous architect, very famous architect. He actually designed the Washington Monument, the Department of Treasury Building, and the U.S. Patent Office Building in Washington, D.C., a College of Charleston alumni. Maybe the most famous athlete who has come out of the College of Charleston is New York Yankees outfielder Brett Gardner from Holly Hills, South Carolina. He walked on at the College of Charleston, graduating there in 2005, and then went on to play baseball. He's been a New York Yankee now for 15 years. The venerable Brett Gardner, number 11, all you Yankee fans, I think that's his number, but a very good baseball player for the College of Charleston and now probably the most famous Alum, musician-wise from COC, Edwin McCain, who had some big pop songs back in the 90s. He is a College of Charleston alumnus. Also, you have from the political world a guy who has, uh, was a few years ago the president of the College of Charleston, Glenn McConnell, class of 69, and he was a big-time power maker in South Carolina when he was there in state government. And then you have from the writing world, Let's see here. Paget Powell, writer and novelist. Also, you have, let's see, Frank Blair. You might know him from the Today Show, an early cast member of NBC's Today Show back in the 1950s. Frank Blair, College of Charleston, class of 1934. And uh, that, that's probably enough for you right here. But, yeah, the College of Charleston in Charleston, South Carolina, celebrating its 250th birthday. Way to go, Cougars. And you can go ahead and put me in that list. I actually went to summer school at the College of Charleston once. So, yeah, put me in the list of uh, infamous alumni. In fact, I was in Chicago a few years ago, and I climbed up not the Sears Tower, but the other one, I guess the Whitney Hancock Tower, whatever it's called. It's a pretty big building, bigger than anything we got here in the South. And I was up there, and I had something that identified the Charleston area up there. And a lady came up to me, and she said, oh, Oh, and she was about 50 years old, I think, at the time. And she came up to me to say, I am an alumnus of the College of Charleston, which their athletic nickname is the Cougars. And I looked back at this lady, and I looked at her, and I said, you're a Cougar. <laughs> and she laughed. She laughed hard. And it was funny. I'm sorry. It was very funny. Now let's go to Middle Tennessee. And a former Tennessee State University football player receives a degree after 
a brain injury. Congratulations to Christian Ambercrombie, the former TSU Tiger, received his degree after recovering from this severe brain injury. He had a brain injury against Vanderbilt that he suffered back in 2018. Y'all might remember that. He began taking online courses to complete his degree, and he was among 900 who graduated from TSU, receiving a degree at the spring commencement ceremonies in Nashville over the weekend. A fantastic story for this young man, Christian Abercrombie. I think he might have been from Georgia originally. I'm trying to think back. Remember, we had two awful football-related injuries around the same time. He was injured, and then there was a player from, oh gosh, I know it happened at University of Georgia. I'm thinking it could have been a, oh man, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting. Help me out on this one, 803-816-1170. Someone from maybe Southern, maybe a Southern Jaguar player got hurt playing at Georgia a couple years ago in a football game. We had some scary there, back-to-back episodes of injuries, severe injuries, but for Mr. Abercrombie, getting his degree from Tennessee State University, Nashville, Tennessee. Way to go, Oprah Winfrey University. How about this story from the world of science over the weekend in Panama City or just outside of Panama City in the nice warm waters of the Gulf of Mexico? The SpaceX Crew-1 splashed down into the Gulf off of Panama City and those astronauts returning back to Earth safely. A wonderful scene as they crashed are gently crashed, if you will, into the glass-like waters of the Gulf early on Sunday, and that wrapped up a six-month mission to the International Space Station. So a very, very good deal for the astronauts involved. Victor Glover, Mike Hopkins, Shannon Walker, and then a Japanese astronaut was also part of that when they crashed at 1.57 a.m. Hey, right there at Panama City at 1.57 a.m., well, a lot of people are just going out for the night. So, yeah, that they were right there in time for the party in the Panama City. But did, I didn't realize that SpaceX could even crash into the Gulf of Mexico. I thought all of that stuff was reserved for off of the Atlantic coast. But that happened over the weekend in a, a very, very warm story. In, a, in the warm waters of the Gulf of Mexico, SpaceX and Elon Musk continuing to make big headlines and Oh, what a fantastic addition to our, our country. This guy, of course, immigrated to the United States from South Africa, and he continues to do amazing things with Tesla and more. And SpaceX, it looks like it's a formidable company going forward. And I, I love to see the connection between the Gulf of Mexico and the South and his company. In fact, after these astronauts landed in the Gulf of Mexico, they were off and went to, let's see, uh, Houston is where they went to kind of recover and and get, I guess, acclimated back to being on Earth here after that happened over the weekend. We have more stuff. In fact, we've got some more NASA information, something right up my alley, maybe right up your alley if you like the South and you like our Southern food, something NASA NASA is doing. We'll tell you about that coming up on the Y'all Show. But when we come back after this break here on Y'all, stay with us because we're going to tell you a little bit about some of the sports happenings over the weekend, some big news from the NFL front. And that is coming up after the NFL draft wrapped up and also some golf news and some NASCAR news all coming up on the Southern Sports Report. And it's up next on the Y'all Show.
pretty catchy tune there from Mr. Foster. This is the Y'all Show, and we're all about the South, from the bluegrass of Kentucky to the sandy shores of Florida, and all points in between. And if you want to be a part of our Southern show, we invite you to climb aboard, 803-816-1170. This is our Southern Sports Showcase here on this Monday edition of the y'all show and yeah you heard that song playing there at churchill downs over the weekend congratulations to medina spirit winning the 147th kentucky derby trainer bob baffert broke the record for an amount of wins his seventh win in this little horse race there in louisville what a what an amazing accomplishment the hall of fame trainer baffert with these victories breaking the record for wins of all-time wins there at Churchill Downs and more. This is also Baffert's second derby win in a row. Oh, if you just had that silver hair and that great attire, then you might be a Hall of Fame trainer as well. The win also was John Velasquez's fourth Kentucky Derby win, and he was the jockey behind Medina Spirit. And Velasquez also now has back-to-back Kentucky Derby wins. I say that they got something good going on there with that combination of Velasquez and Baffert. Madonna Spirit was not an odds-on favorite to win. The horse's odds were 12 to 1. Essential Quality was the odds-on favorite at 5 to 2. That horse actually finished 4th in the 147th running of the Kentucky Derby. A fantastic Saturday evening there at Churchill Downs. Great to see both the Oaks and the Derby get underway and get going with a mostly full crowd there in louisville and just maybe a return maybe this is the first sign that things can get back to normal but madonna spirit winning and really making a few people quite upset they had their money on that other horse that finished fourth and this one came out of out of nowhere to win the 147th running of the kentucky derby i won't say that it was quite as thrilling in kansas city over the weekend but kyle bush on his birthday his 36th birthday sunday one at Kansas Speedway, and he thought he had a third-place car on Sunday, but his crew chief, Ben Beshore, thought that was good enough for second, but it turned out they were both wrong. Instead, Bush was perfect on a pair of late restarts and was able to win a two-lap sprint to the finish at Kansas Speedway, becoming the 10th different winner through the first 11 races of this NASCAR Cup Series season. And again, Kyle Bush won at Kansas Speedway, on his birthday. So great job there by this NASCAR racer. We also had racing to the finish over the weekend, the NFL draft, as you saw all seven rounds go down, televised on networks like ABC, the NFL Network, and ESPN. And I watched a good portion of that because I, I'm i like a lot of people, the draft is somewhat fascinating to me. I don't know if you took hours upon your life to to sit there and watch the alert go across that the pick is in, but it was it was some drama involved. I enjoyed seeing it. But the SEC, congratulations to the Southeastern Conference and its 14 member institutions. 65 players from the SEC selected in this year's NFL draft, and that exceeds the 2019 mark that the Southeastern Conference held just two years ago. Now, to the ACC's credit, it was Trevor Lawrence from Clemson University being the number one overall draft pick to the Jacksonville Jaguars, and a BYU quarterback went 
to the New York Jets. But it wasn't too far from there that you started seeing an assortment of SEC players selected in the 2021 NFL Draft. The list of halls included six of the first 10 picks and 12 of the 12 of the first 32 selected in the first round. So the the first round had a dozen SEC players selected, and that included Kyle Pitts. I think he was the highest SEC player chosen in the draft. He went at number four to the Atlanta Falcons, this great tight end that's going to be a dirty bird now. LSU receiver Jamar Chase went number five to the Bengals, and former Crimson Tide wideout Jalen Waddell went number six to the Dolphins, and then Devontae Smith, your Heisman Trophy winner, went number 10 to the Philadelphia Eagles. Lots of SEC players throughout the throughout the round. As the SEC with 65 picks this year, back in 2019, they had 64 picks. Uh, they, they went all the way down to 63 SEC picks in the draft back in 2020. But an amazing run for the SEC, 14 institutions. And a lot of these guys are going to go off and have Very, very long and profitable NFL careers. We wish them the best. Now, how about Mel Kuyper? Here's the guy who claims to be the biggest expert going for NFL football, at least in terms of the draft. And he's got an article up at ESPN.com where he rates the draft. And I'm going to kind of walk through here and tell you about how he kind of graded out the NFL draft here this year for our Southern teams, at least from the AFC South, the Houston Texans. Now, they had a lot of questions because we don't know if Deshaun Watson's ever going to play football again. And so Kuyper writes, have the Texans done enough to improve at cornerback? And he said corner was one of the weakest and thinnest positions for Houston last year. Texans added Desmond King and Terrence Mitchell in free agency. But is that going to be enough to improve the position? You can read more at ESPN.com. The Jaguars have plenty of blocking options now. They actually brought in from the Panthers Chris Manhurts and a fifth-round pick Luke Farrell to help out blocking for Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne and the rest of the guys. And I didn't realize this. The Jaguars have brought in Hayden Hurst from the Falcons in over the offseason to be a member of that unit. The Tennessee Titans, how will they do with a receiver position? Remember, we talked about it last week. A.J. Brown, great receiver. He needed help out there catching the balls. And the Titans had multiple opportunities to add a receiver who could work the underneath routes and be a third-down specialist, according to Mel Kuyper and his website and writer, Taron Davenport. But the coach did get a, a receiver. I don't have that name in front of me right now, late in the draft. But the Titans likely... Can't do any worse than what they did last year in the draft where the guy flaked out and played four snaps total in the 2020 season and now is completely out of the league. To the NFC and the NFC East Dallas Cowboys needed help at free safety, and they looked to the draft for that. They added Keanu Neal, Jaron Curse, and DeMonte Kazee in free agency and were able to pick up some other things in draft to boost their chances heading into the 2021 season the Washington football team also needing help in the defensive backfield and they had a recent free agent addition of Ryan Fitzpatrick there to DC Washington has options with Reeves and Everett and they did draft corner Benjamin Just who might be able to play safety for them that the article at espn.com and moving over to the NFC South the Atlanta Falcons 
needed some help with some of their free agents. I just told you Hayden Hurst evidently now calling Duval his home going forward. So how about the Falcons? They were able to get some help in the draft and more. They took two defensive linemen on day three, Taquan Graham and Adetokounmpo Ojinichi. I have no idea if I said that right, but that's my best guess. And they'll need time to develop for manager Terry Fontenot there in Atlanta. Also, the New Orleans Saints, they needed to find a cornerback and a number two wide receiver. And even perhaps, in Big Easy, they need to find a number one quarterback. Is Jameis Winston really going to be the future for this franchise for years and years to come? The Saints did end up picking a couple of players in the draft to replace the departed Janoris Jenkins and Emmanuel Sanders, and we'll have to find out how well they do. I want to talk about the Carolina Panthers. Of course, they had a lot of options heading into the draft. They could have picked a quarterback in their eighth spot. They could have drafted. They could have moved up. They could have moved down. And they ended up, in some experts, having one of the best days and best days, plural, in the 2021 NFL draft with their choice of going with a Gamecock defensive playmaker, their horn in the first round. And then they were able to boost the offensive line with Brady Christensen out of BYU. He came. He comes to Charlotte after after serving both a mission and being a Cougar offensive lineman for a couple of years, and then they were also able to get some other guys who are, 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 are tied in from Notre Dame is going to be part of the Panthers going forward. So for Tampa Bay, for for the Panthers, they're trying to compete with the leader in the whole league, Tampa Bay, also a NFC South member, and it looked like they had a pretty good week. The Buccaneers, man, they're playing with house money there in Tampa. Coach Arians and the company with an amazing 2020 season, and they ended up not losing a single player, starting player on offense or defense heading into this 2021 season. That is incredible. Nobody does that in today's NFL world, but Tampa Bay was able to do that, and they able to get players like Indomitian Sue, who is now 34 years old, to re-up and come back and be a part of that roster in the upcoming season. So, yeah, they drafted a couple of players. In fact, they got Kyle Trask, a Florida Gator quarterback, to come on down to Tampa from Gainesville and be a backup to Tom Brady for the time being. Maybe an heir apparent. We'll have to see how it works out for uh, for Trask. But, yes, for the, for the NFL Southern teams, I thought it was, for the most part, a job well done. Everybody's going to say that the day after the draft. But, but uh, yeah, it was – it was fun television for sure. You also had on Sunday some fun, fun television in terms of college football. Did you tune in and see some of the close games that happened in the FCS playoffs as they had the, I think, was it the semifinal round that was going on? No, it was the quarterfinal round on Sunday. You had eight teams in action trying to get to the semifinals. And congratulations to the Delaware Blue Hens. They went all the way to East Alabama and got the 20-14 to victory over the number 4 seeded Jacksonville State Gamecocks out of the OVC. Delaware advances to the semifinals. They'll take on the number 1 overall seed Jackrabbits of South Dakota State. That's right, South Dakota State. Those Jacks are continuing on, and they're in the semifinals to host Delaware. And now two Southern teams are in the semifinals. The James Madison Dukes were able to get their victory on Sunday. They advanced to take on the Sam Houston State Bearcats, which upset the perennial superpower of FCS football, North Dakota State. North Dakota State lost to Sam Houston State in Huntsville, Texas on Sunday, 24-20. to And I was watching 
the games at a restaurant and somebody just swore that Sam Houston State was Clemson out there with their orange uniforms and sort of a pseudo tiger paw. Now that's a Bearcat claw. B E A R K A T for Sam Houston State there in Huntsville. Yes, but they got the victory over North Dakota State. So this weekend, you're going to have on Saturday a semifinal game between the South Dakota State Jackrabbits and the Delaware Blue Hens, and then another game, James Madison, the Dukes, and the Sam Houston State Bearcats. Winners of those two games advance to Frisco, Texas, where the national championship for FCS is May 16th, 1 o'clock kick there from North Texas. Now to the world of golf, and congratulations to former LSU Tiger Sam Burns. He won the Valspar Championship for his first PGA Tour title. A great scene there as he was able to outlast Keegan Bradley in the back nine. His family was there, his wife, his mom, dad flew in from Louisiana, and it was a beautiful scene there north of Tampa as he won the Valspar Championship at 24 years old. Great job, Sam Burns. And now his his guy that kind of instructed him, his mentor, was also playing on Sunday. And at one point, both Burns and his fellow Shreveport golfer, David Toms, were tied in the lead of their respective tournaments. As on the senior side, you had the PGA Tour Champions event going on, the Insperity Invitational from the Woodlands, Texas. And it ended up that Toms did not win, but former Masters champion Mike Weir did win his first PGA Tour Champion event Sunday when he won over John Daly. Yeah, John Daly is a darn good golfer. And Weir was able to just get past John Daly at the Woodlands and won that senior event, the Champions Tour event, on Sunday in the world of golf. But some great golf being played as they all, at least on the PGA Tour, are working their way to Charleston. It's going to be the PGA Championship coming up later this month from Kiowa Island. And we'll have plenty, plenty, I promise you, plenty of golf coverage getting you ready for the next major of golf as we are winding through the month of May. Well, we're winding through the first hour of the Y'all Show, and when we come back after this break, stay tuned. We've got our Southern History Spotlight, and you're going to learn about Mr. Godfather of Soul, James Brown, on this, his birthday, and some presidential history, too. All that on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Everybody. So nice. There's your birthday boy today, James Joseph Brown, born May 3rd, 1933, in Barnwell, South Carolina. Spent most of his professional career around Augusta, Georgia, on both sides of the Savannah River. We lost James Brown back in 2006 when he died at age 73 in Atlanta, Georgia, the godfather of soul, began his career as a gospel singer in Toccoa, Georgia, and then got attention in the mid-50s as the lead singer of the Famous Flames, an R&B group founded by Bobby Bird. 
with the hit ballads, Please, 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 and Try Me. And then, of course, James went on to have a pretty darn good solo career with songs like I Feel Good. It's your birthday, boy. James Brown here on today's Y'all Show. This is part of our Southern History Spotlight of the Y'all Show with John Raw. Here as we look at what's going on with birthdays and other activity for this week across the South. Also with a birthday this week, we celebrate Julia Gardner Tyler. She was the wife of John Tyler, the 10th President of the United States. She served as First Lady of the United States from June 1844 till when President Tyler's presidency ended in March of 1845. So less than a year. She was the second wife of John Tyler. And she has a really interesting story. She was born on a plantation with slaves in 1820. And she was born on that plantation with slaves in the great southern state of New York. That's right. New York had slavery, just like every state that was an original U.S. colony. And I don't think slavery ended in New York State until after 1820, obviously. But she was born in New York State on Gardner's Island. And that's an island that's still there on uh, Long Island at the very northern tip and a very swanky part of the Long Island area, the Hamptons. And that area is where you'll find Gardner's Island. And she was born there to a very wealthy, like I said, they owned slaves, exclusive family there in New York State. And she ended up being a young lady when she was introduced to President Tyler in, at the White House at a reception in 1842. And then the president's wife, first wife, Letitia Tyler, died in 1842. And President Tyler, who was 30 years older than Julia Gardner, kind of started paying close attention to her. And she kind of ignored him for a while. But then Gardner's daddy came south to an event and Gardner went, her daddy went on this to this event. And what the event was, was they were celebrating the new steam frigate, the USS Princeton. And during this excursion, the gun of the USS Princeton, a huge naval gun, did a kind of a salute since the president was also on board there in Washington, D.C. during this celebration of this new naval ship and the gun called the Peacemaker exploded, and it killed her daddy and others. And she became so distraught that she started paying attention to President Tyler at that point, and they ended up getting married in 1844, and she became first president, the first lady of the United States, 30 years younger than her husband. I guess that sounds kind of familiar with President Trump and Melania. But Julia Gardner, born on May 4th, 1820, And the amazing thing about the Gardner family and the Tyler family is they have a grandson born in 1928, Harrison Ruffin Tyler. He is still with us, y'all. He's the last surviving grandchild of President John Tyler and his wife, Julia Gardner Tyler. And this man is somewhere around 93 years young now. And he taught at William & Mary for a long time and also taught at Virginia Tech. And he went on to found an industrial water treatment business called Chemtreat. But his last report I've got, Harrison Ruffin Taylor is still alive, a grandson of our nation's 10th president. He had a brother, I think, die last year. The Tylers are definitely 
able to live long and healthy lives, it appears. And lastly, here this week, we celebrate the end of World War II in 1945 and Victory in Europe Day, May 8th, is when that happens each and every year. And I just wanted to take this time to remind everybody about the incredible sacrifice so many of our Americans made back in the 1940s. Just in the European theater alone, we lost a total of 214,361 Americans just in that one theater of World War II. I'm not factoring in the the Pacific, the war there with the Marines and the Navy and even the Army and that theater, but just in Europe, we lost that many soldiers. The Army had over 150,000 killed in Europe and close to 50,000 soldiers killed in the Mediterranean action, that in there in North Africa and the battle in Italy and more. The Navy lost nearly 11,000 soldiers in the Atlantic warfare of the European theater. So, yeah, just never underestimate the incredible sacrifice of our soldiers back in 1941 through 1945 that served in World War II. And as we celebrate May 8th this year, the Victory in Europe Day, remember the incredible sacrifice of so many great Americans in just the European theater and Similar to President Tyler and his wife, Julia, we still have living heroes from World War II with us. Not many left, but we still have them. And if you know a World War II hero, thank them for us. I'd love to interview them here on the Y'all Show. 803-816-1170 is how you can get in touch with us. We've got another hour of Y'all coming up right after this. Stay tuned to talk with a Southern accent. Jerry Short, our Takapola storyteller, is standing by. in for another hour of talking about everything in the southeast i'm your gracious host john rawl and if you want to text us or call us well golly feel free to do that 803-816-1170 if you want to email us mail m-a-i-l mail at y'all.com and we are presented by y'all.com the home page of the south so many good stories and videos and more up at y'all.com check it out and we're glad to be part of the y'all family here on this program. This is our second hour today. Jerry Short is our Takapola storyteller, and he's going to be on in just a few, and we'll find out how his weekend went and other stories from that special spot of Dixie, Takapola. That's coming up here on today's Y'all Show. Coming up in hour three today, it's our closing argument with Art Cruz. And Art's going to be on to talk about the injury to Bryce Harper. And also, he's going to let us know a little bit about what happened in sports over the weekend, including the baseball catcher signal controversy and more going on there uh yeah something's going on that and i'll find out from him plus he's going to talk about elizabeth warren oh lord look out there and speaking of politics elizabeth warren's fellow senator a guy from south kagalaki tim scott we heard from him last week on the y'all show as scott gave the rebuttal to joe biden on wednesday of last week after the state of the union from president biden so our closing argument hour three with recovering attorney art cruz all coming your way on today's y'all show all right here is a quick look at headlines as we start the second hour and over the night in over over the nighttime hours in north mississippi some scary tornadic activity as a tornado touched down at least one in tupelo mississippi a tornado emergency declared for tupelo and surrounding areas and 
the video coming out Monday morning showing some real damage across the city of Tupelo and emergency crews assessing the damage. I, as of now, don't have a report on injuries or any other more serious stuff to tell you about. That's good news. But photos tweeted out by the National Weather Service in Memphis showed several down trees and power lines across Lee County, another county in North Mississippi. Calhoun County also suffered a lot of damage on Sunday. And that storm front working its way across the southeast. I know portions of Tennessee already here on this Monday with heavy rain, lots of lightning and thunder and more. And that works its way eastward here on this Monday. Also here on this Monday, mourners gathering for the funeral of Elizabeth City, North Carolina resident Andrew Brown Jr. He was the man killed by sheriff's deputies in that city in northeastern North Carolina back on April 21st. The 42-year-old will have his funeral today, and among those in attendance will be Reverend Al Sharpton, who will deliver the eulogy in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. Did you hear about the Tennesseans who use Morse code to break out of their assisted living facility for dementia patients? The man, the couple, man and woman, the man had had some military training. He was able to decipher the code that the workers there at this dementia facility were using to get in and out of the building. And this man broke out, and he and his wife had about 30 minutes of freedom there in Lebanon, Tennessee, before someone found them wandering away two blocks away from the facility. And now a lot of uh, fines and such being leveled on the Elmcroft Senior Living Center in Lebanon, Tennessee, after this husband and wife broke away just a few months ago. Now, we told you in Hour 1 about NASA and the SpaceX successfully splashing down early on Sunday morning just off of Panama City, Florida, and the four members of that crew, which had spent several months at the space station, are now back in Houston and recovering from their six-month ordeal, if you will, there in space. And now they're getting used to something called Earth. Again, more news out of NASA to tell you about. This one is uh, hitting home near and dear to me as a guy who grew up literally on a collard green farm. But uh, NASA's SpaceX Crew-1 mission commander Michael Hopkins and scientists at Florida's Kennedy Space Center have grown leafy greens aboard the International Space Station, and they did that for 64 days, the longest duration to grow leafy greens in space. The four vegetable production system, or veggie, experiments included both the previously grown extra dwarf pak choy and the new amara, amara mustard is what it's called. So they're growing food in space, leafy greens. This could put the Rawl family out of business, y'all, growing this stuff up in space. They won't have to maybe use all the, the uh, extra care that you got to use to grow some of this stuff here in the good old Earth. But in a release detailing the news, NASA wrote that the pak choy, or pak choy, had grown for so long that it began to flower as part of the re- reproduction cycle, and now they are growing food. Now, if you could grow food and maybe even find some water up in space, then I'm all for going up there. I may not even have to pay taxes if you're up there in space. That's a that's a welcome change. But leafy greens in outer space, how about that? Another story coming out of Florida that's pretty out of this world, although this one involves in this world, scuba, diver, scuba divers in the Sunshine State have discovered a 50-pound Ice Age mammoth bone in a river in the state of Florida. Two divers finding this mammoth bone possibly dating back to the ice age while diving in a river the peace river near acadia 
and they did this last week, and they found a four-foot, 50-pound bone in that state of Florida. A planetarium in Florida said that this uh, guy, Derek Demeter and Henry Sadler, found these two, and they said, it's it's good. My goodness, it was really, really cool is what this director said. They believe the bone belonged to a Colombian mammoth, which wandered around Florida between 2.6 million and only two, uh, 2.6 million and 10,000 years ago. Just, just the other day is when this thing was roaming around Florida, one of the first vacationers, if you will, in the Sunshine State. But a, a pair of scuba divers there in the Peace River near Acadia, Florida, finding a 50-pound Ice Age mammoth bone. What a discovery. That would scare the you-know-what out of me. I'm already scared of the other creatures in Florida, and then you're finding mammoth bones from the Ice Age. (laughs) Also out of Florida, something else they're not only finding, but they're intentionally releasing in the Florida Keys. Genetically modified mosquitoes are being released there to fight illnesses. The Florida Keys Mosquito Control District and the Oxitec Biotechnology Company announced last week that they are releasing boxes, non-release boxes, and netted quality control boxes. And this is all being released in six locations of the Florida Keys. And this is done in an an effort to combat persistent insect-borne diseases such as dengue fever and the Zika virus. And starting here early this month, Less than 12,000 mosquitoes are expected to emerge each week for approximately 12 weeks. Keys officials approved this pilot project involving the striped-legged Aedes aegypti mosquito, which is not a native to Florida. But this, again, is being released to help fight illness so that when you get bit by a mosquito, maybe it will lessen the damage, if you will. I don't know about y'all, but when a mosquito bites me, my skin swells up to about the size of a golf ball. I I don't do quite well with mosquito bites. And I love the South, and I love the South in the summertime, and I love being outdoors in the South. But mosquitoes and this guy don't quite agree. And perhaps that's the case with you. And if I'm going to get bit by a mosquito, I want it to be one of these that's going to be helping helping things in the hepping business of the Florida Keys. Now to more insect news from the southeast and we'll take you to maryland for this one as governor larry hogan of maryland has declared this month and june maryland magicicada months what in the world is he talking about he is rolling out the red carpet there in annapolis for the arrival of the brood x cicadas declaring that this month and june are going to be maryland magicicada months and he signed an official proclamation dedicating the months to the noisy, bulging-eyed bugs which are set to take over Maryland and surrounding areas for these months of May and June. Brood X is the largest brood of 17-year cicadas, and they're expected to be making their presence known any day now if they're not already doing that. And there'll be billions of these Brood X cicadas across the Maryland area and other states, as I said. Look out. But in Maryland... They're getting proactive here. Maryland counties that will play host to the largest number of bugs are Allegheny, Anne Arundel, Baltimore, Carroll, Cecil, Frederick, Eastern Garrett, Hartford, Howard, Montgomery, Prince George's, and Washington counties in Maryland will be Cicada Central. And if you're going to be in Maryland, why not get in on the fun of 
this new declaration from Governor Larry Hogan, the Maryland Magicicata Months. Congratulations. And lastly, from that portion of the southeast, we'll take you to the Commonwealth of Virginia. If you're going to be traveling up there for the Magicicata Months, you might want to stop off in Manassas, Virginia, because there you'll find one hot new property, and that is a 7-Eleven convenience store. What's so special about this 7-Eleven in northern Virginia? Well, it's a new double restaurant concept that is opening up there. And at this Manassas store at 10601 Lowman Drive, it's the first 7-Eleven evolution store to have quick-serve restaurants, two of them. And these two quick-serve restaurants include Raise the Roost Chicken and Biscuits Restaurant. And then they're also going to have Parlor Pizza with a hand-tossed made-to-order pizza. So a combination of chicken and pizza and a place to get your beer and cigarettes, too, when you stop off at the 7-Eleven in Manassas. And there are going to be several more of these added in northern Virginia. But chances are, no matter where in the south you are, these convenience stores are stepping up their game. And look for a 7-Eleven near you to get into the double restaurant branding business. And they'll be offering things like pizza and chicken. Like more than just something out of the counter there. Like it's a a place you can go sit down and have a meal. And it looks pretty darn good. Who would ever dispute the fact that you could eat some good chicken or pizza from a gas station? I'm all for it. I'm a regular customer of gas station food. I'll tell you what, we've got Jerry Short coming up, and he's a he's a sucker for anything from a gas station, I know. And when we come back, we're going to find out how his weekend, maybe he stopped off at a 7-Eleven and tried some of that delicious gas station 7-Eleven chicken. All that's coming up. He is our Takapolo storyteller, and he is up on the Y'all Show after this break. Back on the Y'all Show, it is a Monday, and Mondays are meant for our Takapola storyteller, Jerry Short. And Jerry comes on to give us the latest of what's going on in his special slice of Dixie and his thoughts about the many, many months, I will say that, not to make him sound old or feel old, the many months that he's lived in Takapola, USA. Always fun to catch up with this great Southerner. And if you want to be involved with Jerry Short and maybe ask him about what's going on in Takapola, something maybe I forget to ask him, you are welcome to do that. 803-816 is the way to get in touch with us here on the Y'all Show. And we'll go to Takapola now to welcome in that storyteller fella, Jerry Short. Hello, sir. What's going on, Mr. Ross? You all right today? Oh, wow. Well, I get the S added to my name. I appreciate that. Me and me and Lou Rawls, we're buddies. Yeah, I think you ought to be a plural. Yeah, know? kind of like going to Walmarts with an S. Everybody's got to step up a little bit. Some of us started out low. That's right, Mr. Shorts. Yeah. I was called Shorts once upon a time by everybody, even in the military. 
Is that right? Name tags come back and they were spelled S H O R T S. And I said, What? <laughs> they said, Everybody's calling you shorts. And I said, Well, that's not my name. It's S H O R T. But uh, I had those name tags. I had to either cut that off or throw them away at last S. Yeah. All right. Well, we love to find out what's going on with our Takapolo storyteller. And Jerry, I'll just find out from you. How, how was your weekend? How, what, what happened? Well, we had lots of stuff that, uh, a lot going on, but then we had last night was really bad. We had a lot of rain through here hmm. and haters in the area. And, uh, I, you know, I hadn't been out yet to find out all the damages that's been done. Uh, cause I stayed up all night monitoring what was going on. And, uh, main tvs went off uh it was giving the weather to about uh midnight i guess but uh we had about eh, two and a half three inches of rain where i am and uh, that's pretty good rain and a lot of lightning and stuff and wind was up pretty good so uh but i think you know with a few trees down and things like that's all i've seen uh in my area but i think tupelo maybe yeah we talked about tupelo they got hit pretty bad there in north mississippi there and that storm front working its way across some of our other southern states. When I ran out of the house at the crack of noon today, I had to dodge all kinds of uh, very, very deep mud puddles. And I oh, even my. it was raining so hard I had to put my glasses in my pocket. I didn't want my glasses to get loaded up with rain. So I wasn't really totally clearly going where I probably should have. But I, I made it somehow because I, I, had I had to run in here, Jerry, and talk to you. You must get up before dark. <laughs> i said the crack at noon uh, yeah. was when i was out there try, trying to get here to do this show but no it's it's an honor to be here and talk to you and talk to all y'all on the y'all show and jerry did you do something saturday before the storms came in oh uh, yeah i attended a wedding and uh, uh you know did you ask that question uh you know have you ever gone back in time what is it back to the future was a movie one time and uh, i think i went back to the future and, uh, you know, kind of to, to describe that, that scenario would be, uh, I went to a one room schoolhouse, which I mention occasionally because, uh, this day and time, there's not probably many of us around that attended one room schoolhouses and, uh, had the first and second grade in the same room. And it really wasn't a lot of us. And, uh, it was in North Mississippi and, uh, it was a, uh, interesting situation because we sat on one side of the room and the other group sat on the other side of the room first and second grade would change over when you graduated up to second grade you moved to the other side of the room oh i was wondering what the division was how they did that <laughs> yeah that's how we did that had the same teacher and the teacher was at the front of the class and uh you know as i look back on this thing i um uh, i often wonder you know everybody was more successful than i was obviously and uh <laughs> went on to uh <clears throat> i think every one of them got a uh, college degree and uh it was a town that had a lot of wealthy people <clears throat> for a small population and they were pretty well off so i guess they could <clears throat> they could they must have been doing homeschool back in those days or something and i'm talking uh 51 52 53 something like that 1951 1952 1953 you're that old uh well i may be talking that way yeah if you do the math you know we didn't learn to do the math so i guess i put my foot in my mouth didn't I? yeah you did and so yeah it was uh 
54, I guess. And uh, that was a really unique situation. And, you know, you got to be pretty close to some of those uh, kids when you're that age. That's kind of the age that you kind of melt together with your friends and all. And, mm-hmm. and I kind of I had to keep a low profile on my living quarters because we didn't live as high on the hog as a lot of the other uh, people did. Um, we were we had been on the farm and then we'd been to Memphis and my mother didn't like living on the farm. She was a city person. And so we went to Memphis, but my daddy was naturally just back from World War II. He was uh, all, all, all out country guy and uh, he had cattle and horses and stuff like that then on the farm. So, uh, but we went to Memphis and he didn't like that. So, he ended up buying a service station and a motel and a, and a uh, cafe, and uh, but he didn't worry about us with living quarters too much. And I know one of our service stations we had tires, and my bed was inside the uh, uh, tire rack. <clears throat> we throw a, <laughs> um, had one little room in the back with a little kitchenette type thing in the back of the pure oil service station. I don't know if they still have pure oil around here or not. Doing, probably not. I'm going to say probably not. I think I've seen a pure oil station out west, like maybe California or somewhere. But it's probably just nostalgia or something. They may keep the sign up. Well, things go the way Biden wants. We won't have any oil stations. So. Well, that won't be long. Will it? No, can, it won't be. You can start knocking out even Conoco, man. It don't matter. And uh, Gus gone. Of course, Gus been gone. And... Uh, it's BP, and I, I don't know. It's uh, BP still around. <laughs> yeah, they survived that massive spill in the Gulf, and they're still going. But you were yeah. at a wedding this weekend, and did you run into some people from that schoolhouse? Well, did, and that's kind of where I was thinking and going. And um, I've I've got a picture of that, uh, uh, photo of that, um, of that class, and. Uh, you know, you, of course, obviously today's time with us, you did the math a while ago, it sounded like. People don't uh, look exactly the same. I mean, but, that was 70 years ago. Right. And uh, I, um, it was a wedding. You know, I really didn't cry. name was familiar. And it hit me. I, that name tied in with a name. It was one of my best friends at the... Uh, First, second, third grade situation in the one room, two out. Mm-hmm. And uh, a guy come up to me and he was talking to me and I asked him, I said, where are y'all from? And he told me. And it was that place. And I said, you're not kin to be all, are you? And uh, he said, uh, yeah, that's, that's my uncle. That was me. He, he unfortunately, Bill had uh, passed away in an automobile accident uh, a few years back. And uh, he... Uh, he said, "Yeah, that's uh, that's as a matter of fact. So the girl that's getting married is uh, is Bill's. Uh, um, I guess would have been a niece. And so uh, we got to talking, and I threw a few names out, and then he carried me to an older, older type person that would have been in that class. And uh, the person I talked to him, and then they started throwing out other names that was in that class, but it wasn't many now, probably." We may have had 18, 20 students in our, in our side of the room. And um, that's about how many is in the photo. So anyway, we got to talking that. And it was about four of them at that wedding. From and, that uh, 1952, 51 class. 
Yeah, one of one of the four was actually the brother of the uh, friend of mine that got uh, killed in a car accident, and he was three years older, and uh, at, at the time, but they remembered me, and uh, but I think I stayed in more trouble than anybody in that class. So, uh, you know, and this other one, he went on to college, and I did see him, and the rest of them I had not seen since I left there. And, uh, 70 and, years ago, by the way. <laughs> but it was one that was at Mississippi State, and I was at a football game over there. I used to go to all the football games, hitchhike. I, I think I was a junior in high school. And uh, uh, he was older, that that guy was. And so he, uh, we got to talking about that, a, a fight with Memphis State and, and Mississippi State on the field. That was 63, I believe. And had a fight on the field. And uh, uh, took about 600 police to get it under control, and I got involved in that. But I saw him over there, and he remembered me. And from us talking then, and that would have been, you know, like I said, in 63. But uh, I was asking him where his brother was. But uh, I think, you know, he was uh, – they had consolidated schools and moved on up in the world. But, uh, it will, you bump around and you talk to people and – and you remembered each other, and I throw a name out, and it's oh yeah, he's now he's in Colorado doing this and that. And I said, I, boy, I used to spend the night with him. He lived over by the Baptist Church on such and such, and or something like that, you know. So it, it was really uh, a class reunion of 1952-3 or so, and happened in 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 uh, what year is this? Twenty twenty. One, goodness gracious, that's a long time to wait to have a class reunion in it. Yeah, but, sure uh, was. But these people re- remembered you from seventy years ago. One of them told me, said, uh, "You know, and I, I was a little reluctant. I'd ask about the name of one, and they said, yeah, he's here. We'll go get him and bring him over here.' And they brought him over, and he wasn't one of the. Uh, uh, he wasn't kin to the uh, bride and all, but he was there from being in the area they're they're big landowners in cattlemen and stuff like that and all of them had agriculture degrees from probably mississippi state everyone that i knew in that class and uh they uh he come over and we got to talking and he said i remember you and i said i don't know how you remember me he was another bill we had four, we had four bills in that class and i didn't realize it till they told me that a class of uh and you still had girls there was four boys with the name of Bill. But um, anyway, he said, yeah, I recognize that smile of yours right now. Same smile you had then because you were always into something and you'd bring that smile with <laughs> when Miss uh, the teacher's name was, she was from a town joining and her daughter went to school with us. But when I would be brought before her, I guess I had to, I guess I had a little smirk or something. I don't know, but it, it stuck with that boy. And I swear, I believe he, uh, I, I don't think he was pulling my leg. I think he was serious about it. So I really did kind of enjoy that, uh, class reunion and may see them all again this weekend. How about that? Some people call what you had maybe back seven years ago as a kid, a smile. I call it a blank eating grin. And you must have, you must be uh, still with that blank eating grin all these years later. Yeah, not steak, right? And uh, 
Because as they said, they knew you were up to something. And go back in our archives. We're going to have we got a a lot more listeners now than we've had in the past. But one of our shows in the past here of the Y'all Show, we had Jerry talk about living in the same town as a kid. And there was one time just for fun at recess, instead of uh, throwing the football around or maybe going to the bathroom and doing a prank on somebody, this idiot that we're talking to, Jerry Short, decided, you know what? I think I'm going to go out here and climb this water tower. And you were what, a second grader? Yeah, I had a little. Excuse me, I had a little pushing. You know, we talked about it, and every you know, you dare this kid to do this, you dare this kid to do that. So somebody threw me a dare, and they know that uh, I probably wouldn't back off of a dare even then. So uh, you know, those old iron water towers with the ladder on the side, and you can reach up and you could pull them down, but you had to get on somebody's shoulders to reach the bottom of the ladder to pull the ladder down where you could go on and climb to the top and then when you get on the top you know i i'd say that water tower uh you know i think that water tower is still there but um it is i've seen it oh you have okay. yeah, yeah. and uh so uh, you get up there and it's it's got a uh, uh all the way a, a complete circle around the tank on top and then it's got a kind of a uh I guess it was a cable wire. It wasn't really a, a iron fence around it, but uh, I got up there, and then the bell rang for recess was over, and we had to go back to doing our. Uh, well, I don't know if we did multiplication tables or what we did, but we were we were going back inside, and and uh, everybody took off, and uh, I was left there. But at the top of the thing, when it would fill up with water. Water would overflow from the top and come down over you like a big rain, about like last night's rain. I think <laughs> like a rain on me. And there I was, a kid. And so Seven-year-old climbing a yeah. water tower because somebody dared you to. And I come down the thing, and, and in, instead of going, you know, back in those days, you know, all the schools had radiating heat and uh, coal burning. Uh, unfortunately, that wouldn't be legal today, I don't guess uh coal burning uh units and the furnace would be in a in another part of the building so i went there because i knew i could dry off because it was good and warm and boy they looked for me for about three hours till i got dry <laughs> so i'm sure i'm sure i had that same situation but uh at that school i did a lot my mother was more of a oh she was more into uh music and art and appreciation and all that kind of stuff and she had me taking piano lessons which didn't fit with me or my daddy so that was another thing i did there I, uh, it was two dollars a month i think i remember that which was probably pretty good money in those days and for piano lessons well i took one or two and immediately knew that i wasn't going to be in any Liberace or anybody so uh, or jerry lee lewis maybe i could beat on it if i stood on the on the piano but uh anyway uh I quit going, and it come time for the recital. Well, here come the whipping, and here come <laughs> stuff. And I was not a part of the recital, but a lot of stuff like that happened, and I think that's probably one reason that. Uh, and then I did later on uh, date a girl that was in that class. Hmm. She sent me a letter, and uh, I, she, but she wasn't at the wedding or anything, so she didn't make. She kind of maybe went astray or something when she graduated from high i think school. you went astray too let's uh, let's be real clear uh, here and let me while i'm saying this let me make sure i tell everybody our legal disclaimer kids 
please don't ever do what this bozo Jerry Short did when he was a second grader at the schoolhouse and climbed the water tower. And also, maybe maybe actually just don't be like Jerry Short at all, kids. Add that. Don't even do that like when he was a uh, 9th, 10th, 11th, or 12th grade. Yeah, just don't. That we're, we're, this is sort of a, a show here today where we're trying to teach kids the right way, not the wrong way that you did throughout your life we are talking with the Takapolo storyteller jerry short we're going to go to a break we're going to come right back and continue on with jerry short and we'll have him continue going back through memory lane here on the show that's all about the south if you have a question or comment 803-816-1170 is the way to get in touch with y'all and we'll be right back with more of the show Why have you left the one you left me for? Has she heard like me that slam and door? Did you leave for good or just get bored? Why have you left the one you left me for? Is she what you wanted? Or has What brings you here tonight? Why have you left the one you left me for? Has she heard like me that slam at the door? Did you leave for good or just get bored? Why have you left the one you left me for? Ah, the coal miner's other daughter. This is the Y'all Show, John Rawl. We got our Takapolo storyteller on with us here for this segment as we're kind of closing out our number two of the program our closing argument with art cruz comes your way in our number three y'all.com is our website the home page of the south and we encourage you to go there right now with some incredible stories and more that you can go on and see what's going on across the southeast we've got some great stories some great videos we've got a wonderful show we put up each and every week called tricks of the trade with john allen and jimmy duke if you want to know how to fix that thing around the house well those two guys can certainly do it and they take questions and calls each week when they do that show so check out tricks of the trade from wtjs radio and you can see that at y'all.com continuing on with jerry short the takapola storyteller we've already learned about how his weekend went going to a wedding and more and all kinds of memories and such coming from him and jerry i I picked on you because i said kids please don't be like jerry short when you grow up but you know i'm being a little bit harsh on you because at least once in your life you've actually been a hero tell me about that oh man once once just once (laughs) okay um since we're uh we'll go ahead and 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 finish telling uh what not to do growing up as a child or a young person like me but uh one time uh you know if you move your town and you get to be friends again with other people and you know and it rocks on for three or four or five years we're at the theater one sunday night and um shut in the movie was over and which one late. i gotta know you got that memory what movie did you see well probably a randolph scott movie 
or something of that nature, I'm sure. Oh, whatever and, happened to Randolph Scott? Well, I don't know. I hope he didn't go <laughs> That's away. a song. I know. Well, I understand the song. And I think of Randolph Scott because he always had that same horse. And I saw Randolph Scott movies in uh, this other town I was at also. But uh, he always had that uh, roan uh, horse with that white mane, that white tail, that white blaze face. Gosh, dog. Whatever happened to Randolph Scott, you're right. But uh, I could use some Randolph Scott. As a matter of fact, I saw him not too long ago in a movie on uh, one of those old Western channels that I kind of kind of cater to now. That uh, Randolph well, Scott, by the way, a Southerner, born in Orange County, Virginia in 1898. Whatever happened to Randolph Scott? Well, the actor died in 1987 in Beverly Hills. And I think he, uh, did he own Orchards? Grape orchards and all kind of stuff like that. I'm not familiar with that, but that definitely possible. Okay, but anyway, um, we uh, we were leaving the theater after the uh, whatever happened to Randolph Scott type movie or some one of those of that nature. Uh, John Wayne was kicking around then too, so it could have been any of those. Because Saturdays, Saturday nights were kind of open for westerns and things like that. You know, they kind of had a format that they ran for theaters back in those days. You know, they'd have the Doris Day, Rock Hudson type stuff on uh, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. And then then on uh, Saturday morning, you'd have the uh, um, Ma and Paul Kettle movies and things like that. Now, I'm talking old stuff, so a lot of you out there, I know you don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. I guess I'm, me, not, I'm not old. Let me go. Yeah, you, you probably know a little bit. You're a historian. But um, anyway, it, uh, we, we saw a fire look like blazing up over at the sawmill, the lumber yard. And they, they, blow, they blow their sawdust out back in those days. And they didn't have them in any way to contain the, the ambers and the, and the sparks and stuff. And they had a few uh, quarter tenant type houses over there. And uh, so we walked over that way, and we went to the behind the sawmill, and one was on fire, man, this friend of mine. And uh, we looked in there and was asking people were starting to gather kind of around it, and uh, they said, uh, "Who, uh, who's in there?" And they, somebody said, uh, some, "Some came out, but do you think there's somebody hiding in there?" And he's been hiding from the law for about a month, and uh, so me and this friend of mine, it, we're probably. 12, 14, maybe. No, I guess it was 14, probably. So uh, we busted on in the front door. And we're going in. Probably been a, probably a movie where it was some hero had uh, saved somebody. So we wanted to be like that, I guess. So we busted on the, in, in the place. And uh, we started hollering for people. Well, here come one person out. But it wasn't the one that we were hollering for. We ended up as a roof was starting to fall in up top the backside and the flames were starting to come around near we were stupid like we were at that age in there so we go on and we uh, kick the back door down and out comes the guy that the law had been looking for and we talk about it occasionally you know this friend of mine is still around and we talked about it not long ago what were we crazy trying to risk our life in there to get this guy do you know what the guy was in trouble for yeah, he had been in, he stayed in trouble, bootlegger. In those days, you know, in the Bible Belt, you did not, that was the biggest sin of all, was corn whiskey or moonshine or something like that, or on brew, 
you did not do that kind of thing. So that was more severe than killing somebody, huh? Oh gosh, I mean that was that puts you straight to jail, and uh, it's it no questions asked. You know, just don't show up with any of that. But it was a lot of a lot of a lot of hypocrisy involved, <laughs> I think, in that situation in those days too. But uh, you know what went on in prohibition days. So you know all that had gone and come, and mm-hmm. they making their own moonshine and all. So he comes out with a walking cane. He had been shot in the leg. and uh, He come out with a walking cane limping, and he come by us, and we looked at him. We said, well, that is, and I'm not going to call his name because the world would know, probably. But uh, he come by us, and I said, I called his name out, and he went right on by, you know, and went off the front porch and went around the side of the house, and the law was just coming up. And they went chasing him behind the house, but he got away. There's a creek back there. He dropped off in it, and he got away. But we thought, you know, it was still somebody else in that house that might have burned up because that had happened. They had five or six of those homes over there. I say homes. Those tenant sheds. And uh, somebody had burned up in one one time. So as we left, and and, and they ran us off, really, to tell you the truth, and, um, for our safety. And we, we went home, and I was bad about it that back in those days. Um, had a friend, another friend, and we saw him on the street as we were going to towards my house and this other friend of mine going along. I said, I told him, I said, why don't you come back to my house at midnight and we'll go out the window. We'd go out the front window of my bedroom and we'd, we'd patrol the streets and stuff like that. And I said, let's go back over there and see what's at that place. It, you know, they should be all gone from there. It's burned down. You couldn't see any fire. So he come and got me at midnight. And we go back over there. And But my daddy, he had a farm and he had a service station. But he, he was also, he had been a town marshal in Takapo back in the, right after World War II. Yeah. And uh, he liked that kind of stuff. So he volunteered and did that stuff at night. So it made life kind of miserable on me. So I had to dodge him. So <laughs> anyway, me and that boy. As we were getting out of the house to go over there, we went up between two houses and uh, saw a cop car coming straight down uh, straight down Main Street, which at that time was a main highway. Central Street was a main highway. And uh, him and his partner got out, and they circled the house that we were coming out from. This was your father? Was a, yeah, my dad. So you saw your father looking? Yeah, he was looking for us. And, well, I knew he was on duty. You know, he would go on like it uh, – when he closed the service station down at night and then he had worked about two just so he could do that. Cause he liked it. And then he'd go to the farm and, you know, do all the farm stuff the next morning. And, um, so anyway, him and his partner, they circled the house where they, uh, somebody saw our shatter as we were coming between the houses. We had to go down the alley and then come back out on the street. And, uh, we, uh, when they went around the house, they kind of had their backs to us, and we dove and took off running. And there was a couple of guys on the other side of the street that uh, were backed in their park just sitting in cars that kids used to do back then, but they were older. One of them later become a district attorney in the North Mississippi area. And, you said a district attorney? One of them later become one, yeah. Oh, wow. One of the witnesses that uh, described us, and the other witness was with him, later become two of the governor's uh, bodyguards <laughs> in highway patrol. And then there and was you. 
and then they were the, but these guys couldn't give a description. The friend with me, he had, he had uh, blue jeans on. I had shorts on and then, uh, cause I needed shorts to get out that window and then the shirt and all, and they mismatched us and we went down the alley and we had come in close to this friend of mine's house and we went in the back and the, here come the cop car with my daddy and that other man. And, you know, here they come and they put the spotlight in there. And this friend of mine said, I'm going out and give up. And I said, Whoa, that's my daddy out there. Do you know what'll happen to me? We're not going out anywhere and give up. Won't be any giving up. And so, you know, cut to, cut to the chase. Um, the next morning, my daddy at breakfast told my mother and me, uh, I was an only child. And he said, uh, I want y'all to be careful and start locking the place up. There's a burglar coming through our backyard. We're going to keep close watch on this thing. He's talking about me and my friend. But you weren't really a burglar. You were just. This was, this was, they thought that they just described one person, and it was two of us. Because when we broke and ran, we'd been laying by a hedgerow by the road. And when they went around the back, we broke and ran and, and went up a hill between another house on down. And the guys that uh, tagged us, they, they missed. Uh, they missed the description. They described one person in blue jeans and a striped shirt, say. And uh, it was actually one of us had a striped shirt and one of us had blue jeans. I think I had shorts and a striped shirt on. And he had blue jeans and a T-shirt on. So <laughs> anyway, uh, my daddy was real concerned and told us to go ahead and make sure that we kept the shotgun over there by the uh, back door. And uh, they locked the front door overnight. That there was really a bad character loose. He'd been trying to break in, and they had run him down all night, and they couldn't catch him. And they did keep us pinned up in that. Uh, it was a little house in the backyard of this boy's other boy's house, and we stayed in there. And we got in the, even got up in the closet because they they'd put their flashlights up in there. I don't know why they had tracked us right up to there. Somebody must have saw us go down that alley. And uh, and his, his other his his parents were in their house asleep, but the shed was in the back next to the alley. So anyway, we we stayed uh, hiding out in there till oh gosh, I bet it was two or three o'clock in the morning. Hmm. We finally got enough nerve when we didn't see any police, and I knew Daddy'd be going home pretty soon. And uh, I, we uh, took off, and I ran down Main Street, got back in my house, and lay down in bed and then it was time to get up for breakfast <laughs> and uh we were we found out that we were the wanted al capone of the town Gosh. So, so causing trouble was, for more than 70 years we've at least identified that you at least are at least 70 since you were in little uh first and second grade school rooms back in the yeah. 1950s jerry, right, jerry it's always great to catch up with you and find out what's going on in Takapola and uh Stay, stay out. Would you would you at some point in your life stay out of trouble so your daddy doesn't come try to find you? You know, I'll I'll I'll, I'll have that uh, two thirds milestone birthday this month, so uh, I may try then. <laughs> I don't know if I will. Th- so you've lived two thirds of your life. That's pretty good. If I can make a hundred, yeah. Uh, well, that, I think you're looking for the three fourths, but that's okay. Uh, Jerry Short, great to talk to you, and we'll catch up with you again right. next Monday. Yeah, yeah, I guess you didn't learn fractions in that one-room schoolhouse. 
we still practice. <laughs> you know, I'm dreading 75 so bad. I'm trying to just pretend it don't exist. Well, I like the two-thirds. I mean, the optimism of two-thirds. That means you'll live to about 130 or 40. So we're, oh, that's we're pulling that's for you for that one. I know it. Now, two-thirds, I'd take, the, I'd, <clears throat> I'd take that now. Yeah, me too. Jerry Short, thank you very much. Great to talk to you, sir. All right, hang in there. When we come back on the Y'all Show, we're going to have Kobe Bennett drop by with a southern accent and his accent today. Oh, can't wait for this one. It's all about food, and that will wrap us up here in the second hour of Talk with a Southern Accent. Stay tuned. More fun is headed your way. Southern accent. Here's what's cooking in the South from Yellow.com. I'm Kobe Bennett. Cinco de Mayo is coming upon us, and Memphis is the place to be. Why? For the queso, of course. Down in Memphis, they got some of the best cheese dip in the South, and they're all vying for dominance within the region. Now, most people down there will swear by Poncho's cheese dip, and they are all wrong. In my opinion, Poncho's is far too watery and lacks the consistency for a good queso. You need to go pick up some El Terrifico instead. They're another local brand under Corky's, and I've stayed by it for years. It's much richer than Poncho's, is a little bit spicier, giving it a better flavor, and has a few peppers thrown in for the finishing touch, which adds a nice additional texture to the chip. I usually eat them with Tostitos. You can find El Terrifico stock throughout the Memphis area, as well as other locations throughout the Mid-South. You can buy them at Kroger, or you can potentially buy them in larger bulk at Sam's Clubs or Costco's. Happy Cinco de Mayo! Recipes, tips, headlines, and more at y'all.com. All right, Kobe Bennett there with the Southern Accent on food, getting us ready here on a Monday. I tell you what, entering the Mid-South and Memphis queso wars, and Kobe getting rather editorial there with his comments on the Memphis area queso dip. I, I tell you what, we got Cinco de Mayo here this week. I, I think I'm going to have to try it out and see what, what I think there. We've got another hour of the Y'all Show coming up after the break. Art Cruz and the closing argument as we wrap up this Y'all Show on a Monday. Plenty of good stuff headed your way. Don't miss out on the fun. kicking off this first day of the week with plenty of good information about the southeast we're tickled that you have taken the time to join us here on y'all i am john rawl now joined here for this third hour by art cruz attorney recovering attorney that is and we're going to talk about a little political stuff here in this third hour and some sports stuff and if you want to get involved well we welcome that feedback as well 803-816-1170 it's how you can reach out and touch us here at y'all. Art, good to see you. Hope your weekend was good. John, it couldn't have been better. We got to wrap up the NFL draft, get outside. A little rainy yesterday, but before that, Chamber of Commerce weather, just right for golf. And you, golf? Oh, yeah. Oh, Would you watch it? Oh, you know, I usually I do, but I didn't get to see any of the Valspar tournament this weekend. I was too busy out playing myself. Uh, after a couple of uh, 
holes yesterday in the rain. I wish I had been at home watching it on TV. (laughs) But, no, it's always a better day at the golf course than anywhere else. But I did get back and watch the um, conclusion of the NFL draft. I'm a a draft Nick. I know a lot of people like to make fun of people who are so into the NFL draft. And with good reason. Some people uh, are so draft-centric. That's all they concentrate on. And they know everything about every player. But the draft was winding down, and um, I always want to make sure that I know who Mr. Irrelevant is. Now, of course, Mr. Irrelevant is the last, the, um, always the last person taken in the NFL draft. And this year, it was a fellow by the name of Grant Stewart. Grant Stewart, linebacker, University of Houston, was the 200. 59th pick of the draft. He went to Tampa Bay. Always interesting to know who Mr. Irrelevant is. And, you know, John, I I thought, well, this morning on the Y'all Show with John Rawl, I'm going to go back and look at the history of all the Mr. Irrelevance, all the players that have been taken last in the NFL draft, and Give the names of some of those who have really stood up and said, (laughs) yeah, I was Mr. Irrelevant back in my draft, but look at what I've done in the NFL. All these teams passed over me. All these teams didn't think I could make it, made me the last pick in the draft, but I showed them. And uh, let me give you a list of those names, John, of guys who who were picked last, who were named Mr. Irrelevant in the draft, and who went on to stardom in the NFL, okay? Yeah, now, go for now, it. Now, one of those was was a Ron Suckup. He was a kicker, uh, and still is a kicker. Uh, he was a kicker for a long time uh, with the Titans. I believe he's with, uh, is he with the Bucks now? He was, uh, yeah, former Gamecock yeah, kicker in his college days. Exactly. He was Mr. Irrelevant one year, and he's gone on to become a star in the NFL. Now, let me give you another name that has been uh, maligned, let's say, as Mr. Irrelevant in the NFL draft and gone on to stardom in the NFL. And that person's name is... You got me. I have no idea. Well, I'm giving a list of them right now, John. A list of all those people who were Mr. Irrelevant, who have gone on to have good NFL careers. Other than the ones I talked to you about last week of, of Chad Kelly, who is that's not a, sure about his future, but that's exactly suck up my was, point. There are none. I ah, looked at I'll get you a trick of, question. I looked at all of them, and quite frankly, other than suck up, and the jury is still out on Chad Kelly. I didn't see a name that I recognized. Now, I went back into the portals of my mind, and I remember a guy that played for the, yes, Baltimore Colts. Yes, young football fans. There was a team back in the day named the Baltimore Colts. They got in Mayflower moving vans in the middle of the night and moved out of Baltimore, moved to Indianapolis, but there was a guy named Don Nottingham who was Mr. Irrelevant. Oh, my gosh, he had to be back in the 1960s at least. But I can't, I can't think of another one. And I looked it up, and I couldn't find another one. Mr. Irrelevant has truly been Mr. Irrelevant 
for the past 50 years in the NFL. Not a star to be found. It looks as though the NFL has gotten that one right anyway. But also not drafted, and what a shame this year, John. Noticeably absent, and maybe, you know, there's always a chance when you're not drafted, you can be signed as a free agent. Uh, there are a lot of people who have who have undrafted free agent after their names who gone on to play well in the NFL. But I was just shocked that the kicker from Vanderbilt uh, was not drafted. I was shocked that Sarah Fuller was not drafted. <laughs> uh, Boy, he's bringing the uh, uh, attitude in here today. I like it. Though. Well, I th- you know, Sarah Fuller was the talk of the SEC there for a couple she of weeks. She was a player of the week. Oh, she was the special pl- team's player of the week. She kicked off, and the ball probably traveled – I'd say, John, a good 15, 20 yards one time. And then she immediately made a right turn and sprinted directly to the sidelines because uh, she didn't want to become involved in the tackle. And uh, she was the the talk of the town, but not even drafted. Just another example of the misogynistic attitude of the NFL. Failure to draft Sarah Fuller. Yeah. What a shame. What a commentary on our times. I uh, really thought she'd be picked. But that's it for the NFL draft. We're through for another year. Uh, we've gotten that behind us. And um, Mr. Irrelevant has been named. Keep your eye on Grant Stewart, Tampa Bay linebacker. If he becomes a standout NFL player, he will be the first one in a long time. I want to switch sports just a minute. Well, let me, let me throw in one thing okay, okay. I saw over the weekend. I'm okay. trying to pull up this audio, and I can't find it right now for some reason. I saw it on the Panthers' official app, I think it is, where I saw it. But oh, you do mean the same Carolina Panthers that you swore to me before the draft occurred would take a quarterback in the first round? They had the perfect opportunity. I thought they'd get Mac Jones. Well, they did have an opportunity, but I, I, I recall saying that they would pass on that opportunity and not take a quarterback, but you haven't reminded our listeners of that since then. So I thought I'd take the opportunity oh, to I, do that. I, I thought it was a done deal whenever – I mean, it all came down to the 49ers, and they went with their choice – and I thought the Panthers had a, a green light, but they're evidently in love with Sam Darnold in Charlotte. Uh, and, and they ought to be. He'll be a good NFL quarterback. So? Oh, absolutely. What do you, what do you think of, of Mac Brown? Is he going to have a, a Tom Brady-type career? Mac Brown, I think he's probably a little past his prime. He's still coaching, at North, Carolina. He's still coaching at North Carolina. Uh, he won a national championship at Texas. Uh did you mean Mac Brown or did you mean another Mac? You said Mac Brown. Did I say Mac Brown? Uh-huh. Who was the quarterback? Alabama quarterback. Well, Isn't his name Mac Brown? Well, his name is Mac, but it's not Brown. Big Mac. Uh, but Mac Brown is the not coaching. Mac Davis. No, no, no. Rest no, in peace. No, I, I, I think uh, Mac Jones. I think Mac Jones will be an average NFL quarterback at best. He may be a system quarterback in the NFL. Uh, with the Patriots, but like I said last week, I always thought that he he was far – his talents did not justify him being taken third in the NFL draft, and it turns out for once I was right. Well, I got his name wrong, but the Panthers did choose at least one player from Alabama. How about this? You talk about the Mr. Irrelevant position. The Panthers, with their 222nd pick, 
selected Alabama's long snapper, Thomas Fletcher. I saw that. It's not often that long snappers, we maybe the most underappreciated position on the gridiron. The only reason I think that, that he was drafted was because he probably has the inside secrets as to what what deer antler spray they use at Alabama to in, as a performance-enhancing drug for those guys or whatever substance they use. You know, he'll probably never see the field, but they're going to pick his brain in terms of nutrition and in terms of PEDs to find out exactly why Alabama is so much better than everybody else every year, and that's a very strategic pick, and I'll give the Panthers credit for that one. And, of course, I say all that tongue-in-cheek, of course. Alabama, you know, people, if you want to know why Alabama's better than everybody else, just go back and look at the draft. Five out of the first 17 picks. That's right. Five out of the first 17 picks in the first round were Alabama Crimson Tide players. And it's that's not just a small sample size either, folks. Six of the first 24 picks, 25% of the first 24 picks in the NFL draft were Alabama players. It's not just the coaching. They have great coaching. It's not just the organization. They have a great organization. They have the best players. And they develop the players better than anyone else. So if you're wondering why your team is not as good as Alabama or Clemson or any of the other top flight teams, just take a look at how many Alabama players were taken in that first round. Your question will be answered quite forthrightly. And if you play at Alabama, you're one of what Art Cruz calls one of those great players, even as a long snapper. You might get a call from Matt Rule, the coach of the Carolina Panthers, or the owner of that franchise, the richest owner in the NFL, and that would be David Tepper. And their phone call to tell you that you were just selected by their team might come to you as quite a surprise, as it was to Bama long snapper Thomas Fletcher. Listen to this fun conversation from the NFL draft. Hey, Fletcher, what's up, bro? What's up, brother? You coming or what? Uh... Trying to figure it out right now. No, 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 no. I just drafted you. You coming or what? Are you kidding? Me? Yeah, bro. No, you yeah. did not. Yeah. Welcome to. Carolina Are you serious? Yeah, man. Welcome to Carolina Panthers. Dude, chill out, brother. <laughs> Dude, I cannot wait to help you win, man. <laughs> I cannot wait to help you win. I love it. I love it. Well, hey, here's Dude, a, thank you, brother. Yeah, thank here, you. Here's a wrong step. Hold on. <laughs> Flesher, you can be good at Carolina. Dude, let's go, baby. You ready, man? You ready? <laughs> uh, are you kidding me? Am I ready? I'll walk my hat to Carolina right now, dude. You walking? Oh, I'll walk. If you want me to, I'll crawl my hands and knees, bro. <laughs> we'll get you an escort here, okay? Golly, dude. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. All right, that was Carolina Panthers owner David Tepper and the head coach of the Panthers, Matt Rule, talking to the 222nd pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, Alabama Crimson Tide long snapper Thomas Fletcher, and just one of the many, many happy phone calls that were placed over the weekend as part of the NFL Draft. And another fun story coming out of Charlotte with the draft. Did you see that Chuba Hubbard, how he ended up being a Carolina Panther selected in the draft? I did not. Matt Rule's wife texted him and told him to take Chuba Hubbard in the draft because as a coach at Baylor, Hubbard ran all over Rule one time in a game, and Matt Rule listened to his wife and helped draft Chuba Hubbard from Oklahoma State to the Panthers. 
Well, I don't know about Matt Rule and his domestic life and (laughs) lack of tranquility and need to do what his wife says. But this Fletcher guy, who is the long snapper at Alabama, folks, if you're in contract negotiations, that is not the way to handle it. If I were Mr. Fletcher's lawyer, I would have grabbed the phone from him because any leverage he had in a contract negotiation <laughs> with the Panthers was dissipated when he said, I'll walk on my hands and knees all the way to Carolina. Are you kidding me? I want to play for you. I'll play. Yeah. Whatever chance he had to hold out for $1 more than the Panthers offered, it's gone. He has already he has already stated his position that he'll basically play for nothing. So if I'm getting ten percent of his salary as his agent, I, I think I'm firing my client at that point. Yeah, he just cost me money. Art Cruz, we're going to move on from the draft, but real quick, everybody else is doing it. What's your one or two teams that did really well and who did not do quite so well in this draft? Uh, the Bears did well. Everybody's saying the Bears did well, and they did well. The Dolphins did well. Um, Yet to be determined is the Titans. Good grief. I don't, I don't. I just don't know what, on the opposite end of the spectrum, I just don't know what their plans are to help Arthur Brown, uh, somebody else to help him catch the football. They just they didn't really go tight end. They didn't go wide receiver. I know they went defense heavy, and they needed to because they have more than one hole in the dike to plug. That little Dutch boy that sticks one finger in the dike and saves everybody <laughs> with that leak, that, that's not the Titans. The Titans have a bunch of holes in there. And I'm, I understand the Titans tried to plug them all, but, gee whiz, we're still a little short. Rumor was, rumor was, right before the draft and during the draft, that the Titans were going to – affect a trade for Julio Jones with the Falcons. I kept waiting for that to occur. I kept looking to find something on the Titans roster that would be enticing to the Falcons to make them want to give up Julio Jones. I couldn't make that match in my head, and so far it hasn't happened. But if that does come about, and if the Titans do get Julio Jones, then the Titans will zoom up the draft board, and I will say that not only their draft, but their what they have done player-wise, personnel-wise here during draft time was a success. Speaking of a guy that you thought, I thought the Titans just had to take if he was available, Elijah Moore out of Mississippi. He was drafted, I think, to the New York Jets in, in the draft. Second round. And to his credit, or how about this? Okay, you just mentioned Arthur. Is it Arthur Brown? Arthur, Arthur, A.J. Brown. Arthur Juan Brown. Okay, yeah, Arthur. A.J. Brown. The Titans wide out. Mm-hmm. They all played together at, at Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And did you see the video that Elijah Moore got drafted? He got that phone call just like our Fletcher long snapper got. He got his from the Jets, and A.J. Brown was there in the room with him. I assume they were probably in Oxford. Mm -hmm. And he started, and and it was A.J. Brown crying when Moore got that phone call. And it's a really cool video. Also, in that same video, I I can't 100% prove it because I didn't ask him to take his shirt off, but I'm pretty sure D.K. Metcalf was also in the same little room when Moore was drafted. So, three or two, we know, incredible receivers in the NFL, and what looks like there's going to be a third receiver all there in Oxford over the weekend, it looks like. I'm, I'm really – I'm sorry. That's, that's the source of quite a bit of my disappointment. I really thought that the Titans would draft him um, 
in the first round, and they didn't, and he fell to the second round. So it looks as though a lot of NFL personnel people held the same opinion of Elijah, and maybe I had an enhanced opinion of him, but I would have loved to have seen him line up in the slot and taking some pressure off of A.J. Brown. You know, and if D.K. Metcalf wanted to come over to the Titans and uh, (laughs) make it an all-old Miss receiving core, you wouldn't see any tears from me. I mean, good grief. How did Ole Miss lose any football games during the time those guys were down there catching the football? Incredible core of wide receivers at that time. Got super glue there on display in Oxford. Hey, a football, college football story I want to get to real quick before we move on to some baseball stuff with Art Cruz here on the Y'all Show. We have FCS football. It's been played here over the last couple of weeks, and we're now entering the semifinals of the FCS playoffs this week. You actually saw Delaware go down to Jacksonville State, the OVC champion, and beat them, and now Delaware advances. You also have from the South, James Madison. They're advancing in the FCS playoffs. And one conference did not participate in the FCS playoffs, and that was the SWAC. They held their own conference championship and it was held in Jackson, Mississippi at Memorial Stadium over the weekend. Alabama A&M defeated UAPB, the UAPB team out of Arkansas Pine Bluff. And the Bulldogs from Normal, Alabama won the SWAC championships on Saturday. Congratulations to them. And I'm going to play the post-game interview with the head coach of the Bulldogs there from Jackson, Mississippi, Art you may not quite understand where he's going with this. Are you a wrestling fan? Peripherally, yes. All right. Well, Connell Mayer is the head coach of the Alabama A&M Bulldogs, and here he is talking to ESPN after his team won the 2021 SWAC FCS Conference Championship. Take it away, Coach Mayer. This is for the nature, boy. They want to know what's in this. I'm styling and profiling. Rolex win. Diamond ring win. Jet flying. Limousine driving. Kiss stealing. Son of a gun. And I'm having a hard time holding these gators down. Whether you like it or not, you best love to love it. It's the best thing going today. Woo! <laughs> Congratulations, coach. <laughs> Woo! Nature boy, let's go, baby. All right, Alabama A&M coach Rick Flair from his lair, didn't they? Yeah, wow. that's the most excitement that stadium scene. Of course, that stadium there in Jackson is the home of one Jackson State Tigers, and it was Alabama's A&M. And in fact, he got in a little verbal tiff here recently when his team beat Jackson State, and he pretty much called out Deion Sanders. And <laughs> really, was, yeah, he 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 pretty much because Deion sucked up all the energy. Oh, yeah. I mean, Dion, yeah, he, he uh, Dion never met a camera he didn't like. And if there are media around, it's going to be focused on Dion and his Jackson State team. And I guess, yeah, that gets on the nerves of the opposing coach and opposing team from time Someone to time. like Connell Maynor, who you just heard from there, who's likely been a coach for quite some time. And, and here this new guy comes in out of retirement from the NFL to be a coach. And he didn't like it. And he liked the way that his A&M Bulldogs went into Jackson a few weeks ago and defeated JSU in that game. And Connell Maynor and the Alabama A&M Bulldogs, your SWAC champions here of 2021 spring football. Remember, FCS, these guys are playing now. Some of them are still playing. 
they got to turn around in three months and get ready for the fall of 2021. Unintended consequences I always like to talk about, and I worry that these guys are setting up for injury because their bodies aren't going to have enough time to rest. Uh, people may have meant well during the pandemic by waiting until the spring to play football in the FCS, but I believe eventually it's going to hurt the athlete um, more than help him. We didn't have a significant uh, – we didn't have any COVID-related deaths, of course, by any college football player that played in the fall, and to my knowledge, no significant health problems existed for any college football player that participated in the normal fall season. These kids that are playing now in the spring solely because of COVID are going to have to turn around after a couple of months and start hitting and being physical again, and I really, really worry about what that's going to do to their bodies. You need recovery time. These kids simply aren't going to have it. We're going to recover from a quick time out here on the Y'all Show. When we come back, we're going to switch over and talk a little baseball with Art Cruz. And my favorite subject, Elizabeth Warren. Yep, Pocahontas back in the news. We'll talk about Art Cruz with that when the Y'all Show continues after this break. Stay tuned. on y'all john raw and art cruise and this our final hour of the show that kind of mixes in everything we're like a lanyap of southern goodness here on the show covering everything southern and we've got to congratulate shreveport native and former lsu golfer sam burns he picked up his first win on the pga tour on sunday art was out on the golf course he didn't have a chance to see burns win the valspar championship but a a great scene there north of tampa as he now advances to play in the upcoming PGA Championship, which will be at Kiowa Island here in just a few weeks, and also gets a Masters invite as a result of winning the Valspar in Florida over the weekend. That's you, a big win, though, John. I mean, like you say, here you have a guy. Sam Burns has been on the doorstep to winning quite a bit. Um, he's led after Friday rounds, uh, Saturday rounds. He's been in contention before, but never has quite made it to the winner's circle. But he's only 24 years old. I think he's got a bright future out there. But, you know, this – this is worth so much money to him. Uh, you know, his tour card is secure now. He gets to go to the Masters. Uh, just a great win for a guy that I'd pulled for because he had won, uh, or excuse me, he had come close to winning so many times, couldn't quite 
He'd been burned. Added. Burns had been burned. Well, I, I, I assiduously avoided that obvious reference, but I <laughs> teed it up for you, John. Hey, I like that. And then, uh, but, I'm gl- but I'm glad he won. I'm glad he won, and um, we'll see what happens this week. But um, good win for Sam Burns. Yes, it was, and he has a sense of humor. They said on the CBS telecast Sunday that at one tournament he was with, uh, participating in not long ago, he and Tiger Woods were teamed up together, and on the first tee, Burns looked over to Tiger Woods and said something about all the fans coming out to see him. Yeah, he said, Sam I, can't, Burns. I can't believe all these people came out. He went up to Tiger and said, I can't believe all these people came out to see me today. I got a big <laughs> following. Yeah. Uh, great win. Uh, good guy, it seems like. Uh, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad he won. A, a blast from the past on the Champions Tour this past weekend. You had Mike Weir winning the event in the Woodlands, Texas, the Insperity Invitational. I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about a guy that we're just barely beat out in this Champions Tour event, John Daly. Mm-hmm. He shot a 4-under 68, I believe, and lost this tournament. But that's a name I haven't really seen on the leaderboard lately in the Champions Tour. What's up with John Daly? Oh, Mr. Grip it and rip it. I, you know, John is just uh, – you wonder – you wonder how serious John Daly is about his game. Uh, obviously, he came out of nowhere uh, back when his career got started. Won the PGA tournament, got in on a sponsor's exemption. Uh, also, a lot of people don't remember, he won a British Open. He won the Open at St. Andrews, beating Constantine Roca uh, in a playoff. Uh, that made John Daly's career, and he's quite frankly, made a living off of being John Daly since then. I don't know if he really has to make any money on the tour uh, to make a living because he makes so much money in other places. But it's good to see John Daly. He's the everyman. You know, he's the guy that flicks his cigarette on the ground before he hits a shot. He drinks a beer while he's out there playing. Uh, Has one of the greatest mullets of all time on the on the PGA Tour, former University of Arkansas golfer, as a matter of fact. And I know people, uh, I played golf with people who know John Daly, and they say he's just a regular guy, good guy. But, Lord, back in the day, could he rip it? He was the longest driver on tour for uh, during his prime. And, of course, now that that's been taken over, that slot's been taken over by Bryson DeChambeau. But you're right, I, I, I came home from playing golf Flicked on the senior tour, or that's, excuse me, they don't like to be called the senior tour, John. They like to be called the champions tour. Uh, and saw John Daly right up there at the top of the leaderboard and was shocked. Was really shocked. But I know one thing about Mike Weir. You say he won the tournament. I saw him play a little bit. If he keeps on playing like that, he's going to absolutely ruin the backside of those golf clubs he uses by hitting the ball the way he does. He stands on the opposite side of the golf ball and hits it with the back of his golf clubs, and I just don't understand that. He's John, he's left-handed. You're giving me a blank stare. He, <laughs> right. Mike Weir's left-handed. Well, you, you've already got me stumped here earlier with some of your other things that no, you've no. said. That's what I always tell people to play golf. I mean, the guy's handed. Canadian. That's already kind of... Pardon the pun, weird enough. Yeah, but uh, you know, I, I tell people that, that play golf left-handed that they're going to ruin the backside of those golf clubs. There aren't too many really – You told Phil Mickelson that? I haven't told Phil that. Uh, I've got a couple of Phil Mickelson stories that I'll tell some of these days on the air, but I'll have to go through the story uh, and 
make some plans on telling it because there are certain words I'm going to have to to mark out of the story and it won't be allowed on the air. But there have been good ones, there's no doubt, but very few PGA players uh, that play left-handed. Just always an oddity to me. Yeah, might need to have some switch-hitting PGA players. And speaking of switch-hitting, let's get an update on what's going on with Philadelphia Phillies slugger Bryce Harper as he was... uh, hit pretty hard the other day and i guess it turned out okay but what's going on with him the aftermath of him being pegged by a st louis cardinal you know i I just wanted to make a short note of this uh i realize that i have a snarky attitude on here sometimes that's just my yes you do let's talk about it that's just my shtick but you know when an opportunity arises to really uh, to praise someone, I want to be able to take advantage to do that. And I want to praise Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper is a superstar. I mean, he is one of the top players in the game today. And he was hit in the face by Genesis Cabrera, a Cardinal pitcher. And it could have been a devastating injury. But it wasn't, as it turned out, even that night, the night that he was hit by the pitch, Bryce Harper made an Instagram video saying, hey, everything's fine. My face is still here. My brain's still here. But the reason I want to praise Bryce Harper is that was a volatile situation between the Cardinals and the Phillies. The Cardinal pitcher hit Bryce Harper in the face with the first pitch. The Cardinal pitcher came in with the next pitch to the next batter and hit that batter in the ribs. The Philadelphia Phillies were understandably very, very upset with the Cardinal pitcher. Now, there was no intent on the part of Genesis Cabrera to hit anyone. This was just a pitcher that had no clue where he was throwing the ball. However, if you're a baseball player uh, competing, that's no excuse. If you don't have a clue where you're throwing the baseball, then get your rear end off the mound because you're putting people in danger. What Bryce Harper did after that game was, instead of fanning the flames, instead of making the situation worse than it already was, here you've got Bryce Harper, superstar, reaching out to Cardinal pitcher, rookie, Genesis Cabrera, and in essence saying, hey man, I'm okay, don't worry about it, everything's cool, I know you didn't mean to do it, I know this is shaking you up, but just know that I'm cool with it, I'm okay. To me, that just exudes class on the part of Bryce Harper, and I want to give him, uh, for lack of a better term, an attaboy this morning for taking that step and doing what he did. That did show a lot of class, and remember, he got hit in the face. This the wasn't face. some of those. I mean, we've seen massive fights in Major League Baseball because a ball hit him on the on the toe, or and, something like that. And, you know, and, and players generally take care of these things themselves. And as an example, to show how players take care of these things themselves, the Cardinals knew that what their pitcher did was out of line. No, it wasn't intentional. But you've got to have more control of your pitches once if you get out there and stand 60 feet, 6 inches away from the opposing team. Now, the Cardinal pitcher hit two Phillies. The Phillies are going to retaliate. That's one of the unwritten rules in baseball. The players know this. Now, a lot of people who didn't play baseball make fun of the, quote, unwritten rules of baseball, close quote. But they're there for a reason. And I'll give you an example of what happened the next day. 
Nolan Arenado, who's the Cardinal third baseman, who's going to be a member of the Hall of Fame when he recri- when he retires, is the best player on the Cardinals. Bryce Harper is the best player on the Phillies. Now, the Phillies just had their best player hit in the face with a baseball. Nolan Arenado and the rest of the Cardinals pretty much knew that Nolan Arenado was going to get hit with a pitch, and that's exactly what happened the next day. He was plunked in the ribs by the Phillies pitcher. And to give Nolan Arenado credit, you know what he did? Did he charge the mound? Did he take the bat toward the mound and try to hit the Phillies pitcher? No. It's an unwritten rule in baseball. You hit one of ours or two of ours like that, we're going to get you. And that's what they did. Nolan Arenado dropped his bat at home plate and trotted to first base. And the players took care of it. At that point, the situation was over with. Retribution had been taken care of. The players took care of it. We don't need the intervention of the umpires or the major league front office. The players policed the game. They policed that situation, and there never was another batter thrown at the rest of the series. Did the Phillies pitcher get tossed? No, no, because there was no warning in effect at that time. If the umpires had warned the benches prior to that, uh, he would have gotten tossed. But, you know, John, even if the umpires had warned the benches prior to that occurring, I believe the pitcher would have gone ahead and hit the Cardinal batter because as a Philly pitcher, he's got to protect his players. His players were getting hit. His players were getting pitched inside too too much. So he's got to protect his hitters up there, and the only way a pitcher can do that is to do the same to the other side. Everybody knows it. And as I said, Arenado knew it was coming. He got hit by a pitch. He dropped his bat and trotted to first base. The whole situation is over at that point. Let the players take care of things. The unwritten rules in baseball are there for a reason. They do apply, and they apply to keep the game safe. Another topic to have Art Cruz here on the Y'all Show on this Monday to discuss. Speaking of the sport of baseball, catcher signals. You know, John, this is um, something that has really taken the world by storm in uh, this age of social media. People making hand symbols on television. I know the other day there was an allegation that a Jeopardy contestant was making white power hand signals on the set in Jeopardy. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh, United States Supreme Court Justice, when he was being approved, uh, confirmed rather, by the United States Senate, uh, his chief of staff, a young lady, was sitting in the audience, and there were allegations that she was making hand symbols uh, in the audience that were conveying a message of, of uh, white supremacy and things of that nature. Uh, Wrigley Field, last year, a couple of guys, or the year before last, several guys were kicked out of Wrigley Field, and they were banned from Wrigley Field for the rest of their life because a photograph that they posted on social media showed what I call the OK sign. It's basically when you put your index finger and your thumb together and hold up three three fingers, just and it's not like OK. But for some reason, that has morphed into uh, a racist symbol for some people, and I don't understand it. Uh, I know back in high school, if you you made that symbol and you held it below your waist 
And if you could force another guy to look and see that, you got to slug him three times in the shoulder. <laughs> you know, it's the most innocent thing in the world. So I started looking at what major league catchers are doing, and I've caught them doing the same thing with hand signals. Uh-oh. You won't believe. I have noticed this weekend that catchers will squat behind home plate, and they will give one index finger down. One finger down. Now, what could that be other than that catcher's desire for one race to be supreme? That is a symbol that we've got to stop catchers in baseball from doing. What if the number one signal is going upward, like I'm number one, if I well, hold that up? Well, is that supremacy? No, no. no. One finger, index finger pointed toward the ground, that means that catcher is for race supremacy. Let's, let's go to number two. Yeah. If a catcher, I have noticed, again, catcher giving two fingers, he squats down, he gives two fingers. That catcher obviously needs to be ostracized. He needs to be canceled on social media because that catcher is obviously saying that, in his opinion, marriage should be between one man and one woman. <laughs> Now, we've got to stop this, John. Yeah. This I is agree. going this is not only going out on regional broadcasts, these are national broadcasts that are joining in and showing what these catchers are doing. Now, if a catcher gives three if he gives the number three pointing down toward it. And, and you played baseball in the old days before yeah. we reached this That was terrible, a sl- slider. A slider. I was just me a th- but they're not trying to tell a pitcher to throw a slider. No. Instead, it's now. This is the white power symbol I was talking about earlier. Okay. This, You know, you put your forefinger on your thumb and three fingers down. That's not a slider anymore. That's a symbol for white power. And if you have four, sig- four fingers down, John, Uh-oh. oh, that used to be a change-up in my day, okay? Four fingers down. But if you have four fingers now down pointed toward the ground and your fingers are touching each other, you don't spread your fingers. You Four fingers down, touching each other. That is a Nazi Heil Hitler sign. Mm. So now we've got catchers in baseball spreading this hate, spreading and they, the And they vision. think they're hiding it, too. They th- that's why they pull their fingers back up toward uh, the upper thigh, and they try to hide it from batters. They try to hide it from umpires. But we can see it because of the center field cameras. Now, now, a catcher was, believe it or not, a catcher was interviewed about this, John. A catcher was interviewed over the weekend about this, and he said, this is ridiculous, this is ridiculous what y'all are saying. I'm just giving the symbols for a fastball, a curveball, and a slider, and a changeup. Yeah, right. And then, you know, that, 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 that's what, and, and I believed him. But then, you went back and the next the day, the catcher was interviewed again. He had obviously gone to some sensitivity training, and he came out and said, I apologize to everyone who was hurt by my insensitive hand gestures, I stand with all those people who have experienced injustice, white privilege, white supremacy, uh, that are not tolerant of anything except marriage between a man and a woman. He wrote a two-page apology. And as a matter of fact, his teammates stood in solidarity with him once he apologized. They all agreed as a show of solidarity to this man's contriteness, to this catcher's contriteness and shame for spreading this hate while he's giving hand signals 
all of his teammates agreed to have their right hands amputated <laughs> to show that it will never happen again. All right. Hey, I just have always wondered what the symbol, what they're trying to get across when they're down there with their fingers in that area scratching, when they're scratching their uh-huh. their jersey, uh, the, the pants in that little special area. What's that all, What's that mean? That means they forgot to take a shower that morning. They've got jock itching. Would somebody please bring me some baby pants? I think it means something more than that. So you need to look into that one, Art Cruz. Hats off to the Babylon Bee. I, I stole that from the Babylon Bee, a great satirical website on the web. So um, tip of the cap to the Babylon Bee for giving me the idea for that story. All right. Hey, we have some more fun coming up. We're going to talk a little U.S. Senate news and notes, all that on the Y'all Show. Georgia, he was looking for a soul to steal. He was in a bind because he was way behind and he was willing to make a deal. When he came across this young man sewing on a fiddle and playing it hot, and the devil jumped up on a hickory stump and said, boy, let me tell you what. I guess you didn't know it, but I'm a fiddle player too. We're back here wrapping things up here in this third hour of y'all. John and Art, thank you so much for being a part of our show where we mix in everything Southern. That includes sports and entertainment and also some political talk from time to time. And, Art, I know one of the nation's most famous senators is Elizabeth Warren, famous or infamous, whichever way you want to describe it, but you are a fan of hers, evidently. John, you called her earlier uh, Pocahontas. I would think that's really a show of disrespect on your part. I would never call a United States senator a name like that. I call her, quite frankly, uh, Focahontas, F-A-U-X, Focahontas, because of her penchant for lying. But no, she's in the news, and the reason she's in the news now is, and I know you recall, John, that during the Trump administration, at the beginning of the Trump administration, uh, Democrats were criticizing President Trump because of his, quote, Muslim travel ban. Close quote. Now, there never was a Muslim travel ban. What there was a ban on is uh, a ban on travel from from countries where terrorists were coming from in order to wreak havoc on our American way of life. Now, the fact that those countries happened to be primarily Muslim uh, was just a corollary. But President Trump saw a need at that point in time, to ban travel from certain countries to attempt to keep terrorists out of the United States. He was roundly criticized for picking out one particular group and instituting a travel ban. But, John, that is exactly what our great leader, Joe Biden, has done now. He is instituting a travel ban, not because of terrorism, But because of COVID-19, there are hot spots still around the world where COVID-19 is not as controlled as we have controlled it here and as some places in Europe has controlled it. And one of those places is in India, the country of India, one of the most populous 
uh, countries in the world. Uh, COVID is really out of control there. So President Biden, in his esteemed wisdom, has instituted a travel ban on people coming in from India. Now, who has it affected most? We have a, a United States senator who is now stranded and cannot come into the United States because of this travel ban on India, and it is Elizabeth Warren. She has claimed for years and years and years to be an Indian. As a matter of fact, on her application to become professor at Harvard Law School and at other times uh, when she has filled out applications for jobs, she has indicated that she is an Indian, and that has led to preferential treatment on her part in order to obtain these jobs. And now she is finally, she's being affected adversely by it. And so it just seems to me that the chickens have come home to roost now, John. She has claimed to be Indian all this time and used it to advantage. But now there is a travel ban on people from the country of India. And now she is stranded outside the borders of the United States. Poetic justice in my mind. Mm, mm, mm. And, you know, her native state is one of our southern states, Oklahoma. It's hard to believe you could be a native Oklahoman and not have some kind of Indian ancestry with the five civilized tribes located there. I haven't done the DNA test. I'm sure I have a portion of my DNA that is American Indian, and it's a very proud history and heritage to have. But she did the DNA, and she doesn't have hardly any American Indian well, heritage. It was like one... The fraction was infinitesimal. Yeah. Of course, and that's I, hard to do if you I, live in Oklahoma. Of course, I say all of what I said earlier about the Indian travel ban in, in, in jest. But, of course, she was challenged during the 2020 uh, presidential campaign when she was running as a nominee of the Democratic Party. And she did the DNA test. And um, as it turns out, uh, she's less Indian than uh, Edgar Winter, the Albano league guitar player. Uh, she claims now that she's an American Indian because she has, quote, high cheekbones. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. You need a little more support for that thesis than that, Elizabeth. You got it. Hey, we're wrapping up the Y'all Show after this. Stay tuned on the show that's all about Dixie. for us to get out of here we'll see you back here on the tuesday y'all show we'll be talking food wednesday more y'all fun coming your way with a look at business thursday entertainment report plus it's the national day of prayer on thursday have a great rest of your monday john rawl and art cruz signing off of the show that's all about the south